Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And today's episode is sponsored by Audible. And we'll hear more about them later in the podcast. And today, we, you know, we, we're coming off the two-part Halo 3 episodes, which was really fun. We got some awesome feedback for that. And we're going back now to a book. We're going to be covering Contact Harvest today. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's really exciting to have uh, Staten be able to write something after, you know, being such an integral part of the games to actually see his mind on some paper instead of on the screen. And he's an amazing writer. Mm -hmm. I can't really stress that enough, and we'll talk about that as we get on into the episode, but he's a really good writer. And for this to be his first book, like clearly he did a lot for Halo Combat Evolved in 2 and some stuff with 3, but really he did something very, very impressive with this book. So now let's go on to the book itself. Contact Harvest is the fifth book in the Halo franchise telling the story of Sergeant Avery Johnson and the first contact with humanity and the Covenant. The novel was published by Tor Books and released on October 30th, 2007 and contains 396 pages. So almost a very spooky book. Almost, yeah. I, I, I don't know what day of the year that would have been. I would have been October 30th. I meant like yeah, a, Monday, would've, would've a Monday through Monday through Sunday. Yeah, you know those other, the other days of the week? Well, yeah. you know, it's like books and movies are released like in physical form on Tuesday, but when you go to the theater, you always see stuff Thursday or Friday. Is, it, is there a specific time they do that with books too? Like it's like do books typically come out Wednesday? Like comics as well mm. like come out on Wednesdays? Yeah, it, it just depends on your release cycle. Um, yeah, like, like with games... Typically Tuesday or Friday. Mm -hmm. Nintendo, for some reason, is Thursday or Friday, but most games are Tuesdays. Nintendo's weird because they still do their own thing because games have no more midnight releases except for Nintendo. They still insist that like, it has to be midnight. Yeah, because for the most part, people download. I still physical, but yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so let's move on to the author himself. 
Joseph Staten was born in San Francisco, California in 1972. He attended the Northwestern University in 1990 to become an actor, but later changed his degree and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Security and International Relations in 1994. Before Staten would get his master's, he would teach English in Japan for a year. He would then go on to get a Master of Arts in International Relations from the University of Chicago. Staten wanted to then, after that, pursue a career in the CIA. So kind of a big shift from uh, going as an actor into the CIA, unless you're going full undercover, then he's set. (laughs) So, well, for him, I think he just said he wasn't he wasn't a lead role guy. Yeah. So he kind of knew which it's better than he knew than he didn't. So trying to attempt to become an international man of mystery, Mm -hmm. some might say. (laughs) Uh, his application was rejected, so it didn't mm-hmm. get there. So halfway during this application process for foreign service, he decided to ditch the idea altogether. He would go back to Sonoma Valley and work at his family's winery. So he's just like got all cool opportunities going on right now. Yeah. Well, the next opportunity that he gets is even crazier because he would eventually go on to work for Bungie in 1998. He met several Bungie developers while playing Myth Online and... Eventually, they asked if he wanted to do some international marketing for them. So, still became a somewhat international man of mystery. Yeah, well, it was like even very early on to that. It was like, oh, I'm going to be doing this international marketing, but now I'm going to start doing more and more stuff. I'm going to start doing writing here and there. And he just became very involved with the rest of the company very early on. That's what a lot of Bungie employees did Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like Downs and and several others, like they they dabbled in certain areas. Mm -hmm. But within more recent years, after being with the company for 15 years, Staten would leave Bungie. And in 2014, he would join Microsoft as a senior creative director. He's done he's done so much within his life because he went to school for, you know, to be in the CIA. And now he's a creative director of Microsoft. Like, I always love these stories, seeing like what they wanted to do and how they got to where they are now. It's cool. And it shows you kids school does not matter. Just kidding. It does. But it's, experience matters ex- just as yes. much because in the end, it's, it's really cool to see how people transform. And to see Mm -hmm. where things go, because the first career path you choose is probably not going to be what you do. So it's kind of Mm -mm. cool to see how people evolve and understand what their strengths and understand their Mm -hmm. weaknesses and can kind of play on both sides of it. Yeah. So let's talk about writing the book. After Halo 2's release, Staten would take some time off to quote unquote recharge the batteries. And in that time is when he started thinking about the idea for Contact Harvest. So he called up Eric Rabb, who is an editor at Tor Books, and told him his ideas of wanting to tell the backstory from Halo 2 characters, considering they weren't able to do that within the development of Halo 2. And we never really dove into that within Halo 3. Stain would say that the whole process kind of came about organically. And after sending an outline of Contact Harvest to Tor Books, they liked it and the writing would begin. But one of the big things for Staten is that he did not want it to only be a good Halo book, like within the universe. Mm-hmm. But a good book that could appeal to anyone picking it up. Yeah. Because it's being a prologue story, mm-hmm. you kind of have a little bit of liberty to describe how things went down. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to keep your lore intact, and we'll talk a little bit about that. You still wanted a book that if you were in, you know, Barnes & Noble at the time or Borders, and you're like, oh, that's that looks pretty cool, like a cool cover. That sounds really mm-hmm. interesting. So, so. You know, he wanted to focus on that. Staten also went on to say that this was the most challenging writing aspect for Halo he would have covered to date, Mm -hmm. going all the way back to the beginning of the war between humanity and the Covenant. So that that ripe start 
of mm-hmm. when we started hating each other. Yeah, and he two characters he really wanted to dive into was Johnson and Tartarus, two mm-hmm. characters he really liked. Another thing is that he was really, really nervous to fall in the footsteps of Nyland and Dietz, considering that this was, as we said, the first book that he had ever written. And let me tell you, he respects the fuck out of those two. So I remember I was reading an interview with him, and they're like, "What? What's a like? What was your feeling about following in their footsteps?" And you're like, "Oh, like these best-selling authors. Like I was terrified, and yeah. I would be too." One's pretty cool too because he did have Nyland consult a little bit with him on the book to kind of go through that first chapter mm-hmm. and and to kind of talk him through it just to make sure that he's kind of keeping along with one the writing process and style of how mm-hmm. the books have been written so, thus far and to just get that like that feel to really draw people in and to capture you in that first chapter. Yeah, and he was kind of spoiled with this as well because Staten spent over a year writing the book. Initially, it was supposed to release in September before Halo 3, but due to Staten working on both the book and the game around the end of Halo 3's development, it was set aside until after the game was ready to launch. This, though, would only delay the release of the book by about six weeks. And def- and the fact that this was kind of an odd way to go about it, there was not a demand for a book, it just kind of came up that we should do one, and Halo 3 being the sole project that everyone needs to focus on, I don't think anyone's too bad by the delay of this. No, because like to date, Halo 3 had the most employees on it, had the mm-hmm. most rigorous development cycle, trying to get things done. So it makes sense not to have to try and sacrifice your time on the game to then write this kind of kind of companion book, kind of uh, a follow-along lore book that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Halo 3 took precedent over. Yeah, well, with all the books before this, they kind of played into some of the plot for the games. This is the first one to where this had nothing to do with any of the games. This was absolutely standalone. This was the start of the timeline so far. Yeah, I mean, at least gave you a little bit more background on Johnson before we Mm -hmm. lose him. So that kind of kind of pulled on your... Spoiler. Well, yeah, if you haven't listened to listen. (laughs) But, you know, pulls on the heartstrings of it and, you know, like figuring out Tartarus and like the fist erupt and how, you know, how he came to be Mm -hmm. with it. We'll learn later in the the episode is is really cool. Yeah, it's It's, pretty awesome. It's just it wasn't super pertinent to actually pushing the lore. No, but Staten would draw influence from writers Heinlein, Niven, Ian Banks, Werner Vinge, C.S. Lewis, Graham Greene, Haruka Murakami... Carmack McCarthy, Barbara Touchman, Tom Stoppard, and David Milch. Joe also wrote this book for free and did not make a dime off of this book. I can tell. <laughs> it's poorly written garbage. <laughs> no, it's a great book. Yeah, which I thought was incredible because I was listening to one of the Bungie podcast episodes and he's like, yeah, I was not paid for this. I mean, nothing extra that he wasn't being paid at Bungie, yeah. which is probably a lot at the time already. But the book was, you know, kind of the last little thing about the book itself is the book was narrated by Holter Graham and Jen Taylor, the voice of Cortana, and later on Halsey. Yeah, it's it's really cool because we're we're able to get to see obviously a familiar face or hear mm-hmm. a familiar face and to get a really cool story as a passion project. Like you said, he really wanted to push Tartarus, really wanted to push Johnson's story, and I think he did it really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. They both did really, really good jobs of narrating this. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. So now let's move on to some some characters that we're going to meet in this book. We're going to start our book episode off a little differently. 
Uh, we want to give you guys the main characters. So as you follow along, you get an idea of either who we're talking about mm-hmm. or if for some reason we kind of glance over some details. You kind of get them in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you kind of know who they are and why they pertain and what they're doing. Yeah. So for the United Nations Space Command, we have Staff Sergeant Avery Johnson, Lieutenant Commander Jalan Al Sidney, Captain Ponder, Staff Sergeant Nolan Byrne, Petty Officer First Class Healy, Governor Thune, Attorney General Rawl Peterson, Wallace Jenkins, Forsell, Osmo, and then we have the AI Loki, Mac and Sif, along with Squad Leader Das and Lieutenant Downs. And then we have the Covenant. Yeah, and we've so we've got them broken down into each race. So we've got the Gerald Hane, so we've got Chieftain Maccabeus, we've got Tartarus, so there's our intro to him. We've got Gradius, we've got Druss, Straub, Varanus, Licinius, and Ratul. We have our Hurragak buddy, who mm-hmm. we'll learn to love, uh, lighter than some. We have our two main named Kigyar, we have Chiryar and Zar. And for our Ungoy, for our cool guy Ungoys, mm-hmm. we've got Dadab and Babap. And for lame name Ungoys, we have Flim, Guff, and Yol, which is, you know, Yol. Yol. <laughs> and then for our Sanchium, we have the Minister of Fortitude, who we later see as the Prophet of Truth, the Vice Minister of Tranquility, who we later see as the Prophet of Regret, and the Philologist, who is later known as the Prophet of Mercy. So we'll get to know those three a mm-hmm. lot throughout the games. All right. So now let's dive into the story of the book itself. All right. And so starting off the book, mm-hmm. uh, we start with this prologue, which intros to Johnson, who's kind of fresh shaved head, getting out there. He's on a hornet, and they're going into an insurrectionist area, as we learn they're fighting rebels, any area, as they uh, kind of abbreviate it. It's kind of like that derogatory term that they made up, like the UNSC Marines made up for them. Yeah, to kind of, you know, make it easier to kill them. And yeah. uh, they, they enter into what they believe is a bomb production facility, and it's like a factory. Mm-hmm. And so they, they enter in, and they, they rush in from two different areas. So they bust down two different doors, mm-hmm. and they're in these pretty pretty awesome UNSC armor, because... Some of the workers that are in there draw these snub-nosed auto pistols and shoot at them, and the material just reflects it off. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. So they take down anyone kind of brave enough to, you know, draw arms on them. But Johnson even thinks in his head, we need to be worried about the ones who we can't see their hands and what they're doing because they mm-hmm. may be triggering a bomb yeah, or yeah. anything along those lines. Get, like, that military speak kind of in there. And then they, they end up, they, they capture a few workers and mm-hmm. question them. This is where we meet Byrne for the first time, this big badass angry irishman who interrogates him and i like one of his first methods is shattering their shin bones just coming down with a boot and just destroying it yeah so burn comes in as the other squad leader with johnson as the first Mm -hmm. and you know trying to figure out where the bombs are Mm -hmm. and so after i believe it's shattering two legs and then breaking some teeth you know it's in the tires and so they're trying to scan it and the the scanner they have that's like it's detecting the material Mm -hmm. doesn't detect it so they have to like rearrange whatever it is in there and decide that it's not in the tire it is the tire the tire is the bomb like they mix yeah. it in with the the rubber and everything mm-hmm. that goes into it and so this then leads us to this uh drone footage that we're that we're we're seeing and that's relaying that mm-hmm. is now picking up traces of that same exact rubber explosive yeah it's, it's at an 18 wheeler at a truck stop yeah it's at like a little diner truck stop and mm-hmm. so they realize like they can see the whole 18 wheeler itself is pretty much emitting all of this. And then they notice that through the roof, they're seeing that there's a man at a stool. 
that's mm-hmm. emitting it the same. So that they're like, that must be the driver of it. Yeah. And then so they, they take their hornets out to the area and Johnson is a sniper. Mm-hmm. So he lines up and they they are initially they kind of think that they're going to take this guy out like he is. He's the guy who's he's the target for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then eventually it leads to, you know, you figure out he's not the target and he's not the one with the detonator, but it's this woman. And she then, you know, she she takes a child hostage mm-hmm. in order to say, like, you know, don't shoot at me. And so the father sees the father of this child sees us all go down and he's trying to reason with her and burns on the comm saying, take the shot, take the shot. But he would have to kill the kid mm-hmm. in order to do it. So he keeps telling them, like, OK, I'm taking the shot. But he's just waiting for that moment where he doesn't have to. And within this kind of tense moment, dad goes for the woman the detonator is activated and the cafe blows up. Yeah, the cafe and the eighteen wheeler, and it takes out the other hornet. Takes out pretty much everything around there, and mm-hmm. any any people who who tried to flee the restaurant, it, it it's gone. Yeah, and it's instantly you kind of see like he was somewhat responsible for those deaths because he also kept saying, "I'm going to take the shot. I'm going to take the shot," but he didn't want to have to kill this kid in order to save these lives. Which I think, regardless of this, he even if he got a clearer shot at her, the kid would have been killed either way because he was firing a Gauss rifle. Mm-hmm. And the original shot he took on the man they thought, who still could have potentially be driving the truck, it shot through two floors of an office building mm-hmm. and exploded him. So there's probably no way that either of them would have survived anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to chalk it up to bad writing so much that it was just like the idea of killing this kid kind of that 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 moral dilemma Mm -hmm. so then you know we move on to the actual book itself within chapter one and we see the ship horn of plenty and the first time that the covenant has ever come into contact with anything human related i guess quote-unquote alien to them it kind of ends with like these two something's going on in these two claws like it's described we don't see the kig yar yet but these two claws kind of come in and take the AI, the dumb AI, from its container. So this entire portion is told from the AI of the Horn of Plenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's it signals because it sees a ship that could potentially help it. So it's like, hey, we're stuck out here. Our uh, slip space engines, you know, are down. We need some help because it would have taken, I think it was like two weeks or something, to even get help from Harvest for yeah. what they needed. So they do that and they realize the hull's being breached, but this this AI who can't think for itself it's just got its protocols it's just mm-hmm. trying to figure out what it can do to save this uh, fruit produce it has a mm-hmm. bunch of like fruit that's supposed to be i don't remember where it's going out but it, it the last thing it does is it's like oh I'm, I'm i'm being taken out i need to save state where i was coming from and where i'm going mm-hmm. yeah and so we're instantly kind of it's kind of ambiguous as to what was really going on there and then we move on to sif and mac the two AIs for Harvest, and we kind of get our introduction into them. And Mac is like a, f- a farming AI. He controls all of the the Jotuns, as they call them, the giant harvesters and whatnot. That... Well, yeah, all the combine harvesters, mm-hmm. any tractors, anything you see on a farm, mm-hmm. it, he's pretty much controlling it all. Yeah, because Harvest, for the most part, is a, a farming planet. Because Harvest supplies food for several of the surrounding 
planets within that system. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's like four or five planets. I think it, yeah. it supplies everything for him mm-hmm. because harvest in and of itself is primarily land and primarily fertile land, mm-hmm. except for the poles and the sea. Yeah, because I, I know they talk about eventually that like land on Earth within the Midwest, a hum, huge farming area, kind of just goes bad, and they needed to move on, and that's when they found harvest. Mm-hmm. And we have Sif. And Sif basically controls the output mm-hmm. for what Mac produces. So yeah. she controls all of the ships and all of their cargo that's going in and out of Harvest mm-hmm. to go out to other planets while also monitoring when you know things come in, things are produced. And so she's kind of this AI that makes it all go smoothly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so after we learn about them, we move on back to Johnson. He was sent on temporary leave after this whole situation, and so he goes back home to the what they call the Greater Chicago Industrial Zone on Earth, which is about the most realistic thing that'll ever come from Halo, that the fact that Chicago just takes over the Midwest. Yeah, it's like most like the northern Midwest is like mm-hmm. from there. Yeah, and that's where Johnson's from. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to the retirement home where his aunt is, which is the Seropian. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in for a second in case anyone doesn't know. They totally named that after Alex Seropian. But he goes into her room and he notices it's like ice cold. In there. Yeah, it's actually literally ice cold because yeah. there's ice and crystals forming on picture frames. Yeah, so it's it, it's there's there's no heat going into it. And he discovers that his aunt is dead. Mm-hmm. And he he's he's waiting. I guess he waits by her side for like, what, an hour? It, it's it's an hour or so. And then until some orderlies come in mm-hmm. to be. And then he hears from down the hall, like, oh, her body's this way. Mm-hmm. And then he freaks out. And he's like, how long? And they're like, sir, who are you? He's like, you know, I'm her nephew. How long has she been like this? And he's yeah. like, uh, three days. Yeah, because they were just like, well, I mean. We didn't really have time to take her out, so they just, like, left her there for three days. Like, Made her room an icebox. Yeah, which, I mean, it's depressing as hell already. So, like, this book isn't really uplifting so far. No, I mean, I mean, Johnson's, you know, obviously has a huge weight on his shoulders from mm-hmm. uh, Operation Trebuchet, which is that first one. And then now he comes in to find basically his only family mm-hmm. has, has passed away. Well, because it says, like, his he was basically sent off to live with his aunt yeah. from his parents. It wasn't like anything. They were just like... You're going to go live with your aunt. And so she raised him ever since he was a boy. Mm-hmm. But after this, he goes in kind of this this drinking spree and ends up at this this strip club. Yeah, at the dog and pony. The dog and pony. And he, he they say he's like getting like a little handsy with the stripper. Yeah, he's just pretty drunk. And so the bouncers, you know, come in and it's like, let's take this outside. And so he just gets into a brawl with them. Mm-hmm. And he... For the most part, he takes him out, but he's still kind of drunk, so he still gets his ass kicked a little bit, and then he makes it out of there before the cops can come. So then, as this all happens afterwards, we move on to Lieutenant Downs, who they kind of talk about he was a recruiter, and he was having a really, really tough time trying to get some people to sign up because of the insurrection going on. So as he makes his way back to his office... Johnson's passed out, basically, or or about to pass out in front of his office. And so Johnson learns that he's actually been reassigned. He's like, I never requested this. I don't give a shit either way, and then passes out. Because he he had been on, like, a few-day drinking binge. So then the narrative moves, and we're introduced to Dadab and Lighter Than Some. Dadab is actually a deacon ungoy, so he's kind of, I guess, like the the priest or preacher on a ship that he's on, and he's able to to bless any kind of operation going on or anything like that. And then we have Lighter Than Some, who is a hurricock, or an engineer. And I think we learn within the lore right around this time that 
Hurgaks are named simply by how they float. Yeah, so, their buoyancy from when they are first born, I so, guess you'd say. So their names are always very literal. So lighter than some, heavier than most, like that's their names. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I guess it works. But we're on the minor transgression, which is a Kigyar pirate ship who is in control by Char Yar, who you, you pointed this out when we were talking about it earlier, is the first female covenant leader or just character, I guess, in general that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So Dadab goes and he retrieves that dumb AI because they're on Horn of Plenty. And as he makes his way to go get this this AI box, he you know, we kind of learn that he's not really well respected by the jackals. He's picked on. They're throwing rocks at him. And he even has to walk through literally a piles of shit in order to go and get this this AI box and take it back to Chiriar. So Dadab gets the box from the ship. And brings it back, and he brings it to Lighter Than Some. And this is where we learn that Dadab can actually communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Through sign language, almost. Yeah, because apparently we learn that there's only a few people, at least in the book, that have a translator for Hurragok. Mm-hmm. So he actually learned how to speak their sign language, so like their blips and their blurps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the box. And so Lighter Than Some gets his tentacles on it and discovers that, like, Oh, it, it can react, and there's there's aliens, and there's a coordinates, and there's all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it gets declared as a luminary or basically an artifact of forerunners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's excited because he discovers coordinates on it mm-hmm. to more aliens, and so they leave to move towards this coordinate where there's these more aliens because lighter than some's very very excited about this. Clearly, the the Kigyar pirates have different intentions. Yeah, so when whenever. Dadab relays this to the captain. You know, she's kind of wary about it, and but then understands like exactly fully what's going on. So she pulls everyone off the ship immediately without grabbing more of the fruit or any of the other stuff, and like, we need mm-hmm. to go this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we move back to Johnson, and we learn that he was reassigned to the remote agricultural world uh, Harvest. So he's he's happy because he's like, okay, I can kind of get a mental break away from this. But so as they're making their way to harvest, he's in cryo and we kind of learn about the process of cryo, how they force you to stay under. And he himself is having these nightmares and they're having to put more and more doses of this anesthesia medicine into him. And he keeps almost like fighting it off until finally he is brought out of cryo. Yeah, he wakes himself up because he was having these same recurring nightmares whenever he was back in Chicago and passing out drunk and under a bridge and was having those same nightmares. And so the same thing has come back about him failing to take the shot, losing these Marines and mm-hmm. losing some comrades. And that as the you know the shipboard AI keeps infusing him with more dosage, he actually pulls himself out of it. And you're not supposed to. So they had to do an emergency opening of his mm-hmm. cryopod. Yeah. And they, well, they also say that he has that same nightmare every night. Mm-hmm. Like he he dreams every night about the the explosion at that op- at his previous operation. Yeah, it's, it's the PTSD that he's got with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so we meet Corman Healy who's there. And it's like he's kind of a brighter character. He seems really really nice. And of course, Johnson, I don't know what we've talked about. Johnson is a very cold cut straightforward guy. At this point, he's, he's yeah. very jaded mm-hmm. and Healy is more of the kind of the comic relief, mm-hmm. like really spry, like really loving his job type character. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to it's one of those buddy buddy comedies he put together yeah, at this point opposites attract kind of thing mm-hmm. and so then they make their way towards harvest and this is where the narrative shifts back to mac and sif yeah so so to give a little intro on 
where they're going. On Harvest, there's a huge space elevator that's known for the top portion of it, which is called the Tiara, mm-hmm. which is where Sif's data center is. And it's where all the kind of cargo that goes up these seven strands, these bungee strands, and eventually makes its way onto different freighters and other stuff. So they make their way there first for their briefing and then take a cargo ship thing. Mm-hmm. They call it a ship. Cargo ship. Cargo ship thing uh, down to the planet through one of those strands. Uh huh. Yeah. And and th- and this is where we see Al Signy for the first time, Jalan Al Signy, and she's interviewing Sif about this recent ship that was kind of taken offline, and then Sif's kind of upset because Max shows up too. And earlier, it kind of explains that they like Sif kind of is always annoyed with Mac. Max being very overly friendly and all flirtatious, that flirtatious, and kind of yeah, advances on her. And uh, as I guess, however, an AI does, but she's just kind of always fed up and annoyed with it. So then Mac shows up and she's annoyed with this. And then they kind of almost go to like a private channel to kind of almost like she's bickering with him and he's just kind of messing with her, flirting with her. They're relaying messages back and forth. So they're Mm -hmm. not actually like speaking as you see like a Cortana speak. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, they're sending those messages. And something I really like is that Al Signia, as she's kind of talking to them about this, at one point she asks Sif a question and Sif takes like three seconds to respond and Al Signia says, no private conversations, please. Like, she's really quick and picks up on that they're messaging while they're talking to Al Signy. And to backtrack just a little bit, so with Al Signy, we get introduced to her character as kind of this middle management UNSC officer. Yeah. Who's just coming to kind of inspect why these ships are going out. It's kind of vague as to who she is, really. Yeah, we're just trying, we're just getting that she's kind of like this, she's there to report on it, to Mm -hmm. kind of figure out what happened to the Horn of Plenty and and, and why things are going awry. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it's also where we see the AIs, you know, trying to give her an update on it but bickering back and forth and that's when max says you know me thinks the lady doth protest too much you know and he's like it's shakespeare sweetie look it up and she's like not only did he misquote it you know but it's from (laughs) the wrong play and so she then sends him every single play and sonnet ever written by shakespeare and then ever written around that time yeah and just like feeds it into his clusters and he's like oh okay i got it yeah, she kind of thought that she was, like, going to teach him a lesson, and he really was just like, oh, all right, cool. Like, he really didn't acknowledge it. Like, yeah. he thought it was funny. So I, I always like the idea that these these AIs are kind of being more, like, playful, or like, one of them's being playful, and one's like, fuck off, leave me alone. Kind of like it's like when you see a puppy, like, trying to play with a cat, and the cat wants nothing to do with it. That's literally what it is right here. Yeah, and, and you start to see that these AIs, kind of like with Cortana, who's one of my least favorite AIs ever. Harsh. Man, she's terrible. It has a human-like quality to them. It mm-hmm. forms bonds, and, you know, these AIs who have to work together have kind of formed a bond exclusively outside of their function of what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we move on back to Johnson and Healy, and Mac is introducing Johnson to the planet through kind of this pre-recorded video. Yeah, it's it's like what you'd see at... Like a tourist video? A tourist video. You're, you're jumping on a ride at Six Flags or something, and there's like a little... This is mm-hmm. how it goes, or any of those like cliche mm-hmm. things you see in Fallout. Yeah, and while this is happening, Johnson and Healy kind of almost get into this argument because they're they're on this self guided. It's not a warthog; it's like a civilian vehicle, and it's just on autopilot going. And Johnson takes the wheel eventually, and kind of like 
tur- like slams Healy to one side of it in the vehicle because Healy's trying to get he's he's trying to go to to a brothel because he he says his his reasoning for being in the military is to like it's like what quote unquote he was a sample of the local wares yeah or like get some tail and what and that's when Johnson really gets pissed off and throughout this Healy hasn't been acknowledging him as Staff Sergeant Johnson no they're they're on equal rank for what yeah. they are for being the the UNSC for being in the Marines and being in the Navy they're same rank but different divisions so yes yeah, so they're going along. And, and Healy this entire time has been kind of making a goof of what they're doing. Early on during the presentation, he's going to a vending machine. Mm-hmm. And while on the way there, he slips and falls and all these workers there are laughing at him. And he gets up and gives him like, what are you going to do, Shrug? And, yeah, he's he's being the class clown, yeah. essentially. And finally, Johnson's like pissed off about it. And it's like, no, we're here to do this. Like, while you're in your uniform, you you shouldn't be drinking because he was kind of drunk at this time. Yeah, he's like, you should not be drinking. You need to act proper. And I am Staff Sergeant Avery Johnson. Refer to me as that from here on out. And then they make their way to their their kind of barracks, and we meet Captain Ponder for the first time. And Ponder's sitting on the steps of one of the barracks, and we notice that he he only has one arm, and he's smoking uh, that that famous Sweet William cigar that mm-hmm. made a brand. Maybe that's real. I don't know. But that made a brand within the Halo lore. Yeah, and and Captain Ponder comes and, and greets him and says, hey, like you'll be staying here. We currently have a bunch of people in the infirmary, so we kind of have the bunks full. Mm. But you guys will be staying over in this area. So they, they head out. They both find their room to bunk in and start you know, just prepping their stuff, like putting stuff in their footlockers, getting everything ready. And this is where we discover that they're both roomed pretty close together because Healy's yelling through the wall and he keeps calling mm-hmm. them, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Avery Johnson, like just being making a smart ass, being a smart ass about it and saying, oh, you know, I'm eventually going to move out of here and room with the other guy. And he's like, oh, you mean Captain? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That, that, that other Staff Sergeant that's making their way here yeah. too. That, that Nolan Byrne guy, and he says that instantly Johnson freezes. Healy can hear that Johnson just stops talking. And he's like, is there, like, do you guys know each other? Is there bad blood? And Johnson's like, oh, we've just, he's trying not to, he's being as vague as possible. He's like, we've known each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And of course, Healy's like making a joke about them being, you know, lovers or whatnot. And then lovers quarrel. Yeah, yeah. Something like, he's like, oh, I might get jealous with you guys. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Byrne shows up. And he's like he's making comment. It, it's it's odd how he goes into. It. He's like, oh, that's a that's a nice bed you've made there. He's like, I've been in the hospital for two months, so I know exactly how a bed should be made. Mm-hmm. And I like that when Johnson hears him coming up, he wraps a belt around his his hand because he's like, I'm in trouble. Yeah, because as soon as he hears the name and knows that someone's coming in, he grabs his belt and wraps it, and then that's when Burn is. Kind of taunting him. Yeah, taunting him, being like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been in the hospital. I mean, I see you've been out here free, you know, doing what you want to do, but mm-hmm. and I was can, stuck there. He can see his face is scarred up from the explosion, mm-hmm. and and Byrne was one of the few people that survived that incident. So Byrne naturally attacks him, and they get into this, this fist fight, and eventually it ends. You know, it's this descriptive part about everything that's going on. Yeah, and it's and they're going back and forth, because Byrne keeps saying, like, why did you let my squad die? Mm-hmm. You know, because Byrne never got closure for any of it. No. Because he woke up in a hospital, and, you know, probably never saw Avery until this point. Yeah, no, because the whole squad's dead. 
he and he said he was in a hospital for two months recovering from these wounds. Yeah, he, was, he was on. He was basically hanging from a string, is what they were saying. Yeah, and he recovered, and finally, you know, he he was telling Johnson, like, you know, you were trained to be a killer, regardless of the fact if there's a kid there or not. Mm-hmm. You were trained to kill that kid and that insurrectionist, and eventually. Ponder walks in to break it up. Uh, you hear a gun cock, and Burns, like, basically tell him, like, no, you have nothing to do with this. And he's like, Captain Ponder's like, I'm going to shoot you if you if you don't stop. He's like, bullshit. And then he cocks a gun, and he's like, I'll do it. So finally he drops it, and they kind of get this one last knock at each other because yeah, Ponder he, says he's, this. He's like, you get one cheap shot. He's like, he, he basically said, this ends tonight. If there's anything else you, you need to tell each other, do it now. So they both hit each other, and I think Johnson knocks out one of uh, Burns' t- uh, teeth. It's mm-hmm. canine, they said. Mm-hmm. Like, knocks it out, and then that's the end of that. And so, basically, they clearly do not like each other at all, but they do have to train this militia together. Yeah. It, once again, for me, kind of falls on another one of those movie tropes of, like, oh, we don't like each other, but we gotta work together. Yeah. Well, I will say this about Joe Staten, is that he plays on a lot of cliches, but he does it well. It, it does it well. I'm, I'm going to poke fun at these just because you notice them when you're reading being like, mm-hmm. oh, look, it's the very serious guy and the funny comic relief. And mm-hmm. oh, no, they don't like each other, but they're stuck here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but like with a lot of movies and stuff that work on tropes like these, it is done very well in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all of the kind of cliches that happen, Joe does them well. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if we had mentioned this earlier, but Johnson and Bird are there to train a militia for for Harvest. Yeah. So so it's it's specifically, it's a it's a, a planetary militia that's done within the colony. So it's, it's a colony mm-hmm. militia that they're coming to train. And it was, I believe, an experimental program with ONI kind of mm-hmm. partnering with UNSC that's not popular with one, this planet's populous, but most, because most planets don't support the UNSC insurrectionist kind of war that's going on. Mm-hmm. So if you train uh, militiamen for it, you're you're involving that planet that may have nothing to do with it. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a gray area morality decision, but I mean— there, there's some undertones here that we'll learn later on. So after this incident, we move on and we're back to Dadab. And he, we, we see that he's playing this game. And it's, is there a name for this game that he's playing? Or is it just like... They just called it like the rock game. Yeah, the rock game. Basically is that you just throw a rock and kill an animal. And yeah. re- like regardless of what it is, you keep score. So he's hunting like scrub scrubs is what they call them. Yeah, and they're basically like little bugs on the ship mm-hmm. uh, that are, are scrub grub. Mm-hmm. So, so imagine a grub that's scrubbing. It's a scrub grub. And it's kind of quick. And it's, it can do damage to a ship over time that yeah. they learn. So that that's one of his justifications for killing it. So, yeah, the game is that he just, to pass some time, he throws rock at, he throws rocks at. He throw rock at. He throws rocks at these, these bugs or, as I said, anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's an easy kill or a hard kill. You count all your points. Yeah, you count your kills, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we see that Lighter Than Some doesn't like this game. Because lighter than some's a pacifist through and through. He says, you know, like, this isn't a game. This is murder. Because Dadab's like, come on, play this with me. He's like, no, like, you, you go on. Go for your third kill. Which seems like what most Herogox would be. I mean, mm-hmm. even when you're in, like, ODST or anything and you see them, that they're typically a passive species. And they're mm-hmm. there more for knowledge and technology and kind of uh-huh. understanding things yeah. than obviously taking life or being any part of that well we saw that within first strike too is that they got one on board and it just walked up and just like fixed master chiefs yeah it's all it wanted to do it's like okay cool something to fix and that's what it was doing it was it was busy messing with some stuff and it's just like okay well 
you play your game. I don't like this. This is murder. Mm-hmm. But so then we learn, we go back to the shipmistress, Shirzar, and she plans on keeping it, you know, the these alien ships that they find out about. She's like, she approaches Dadab, she's like, or calls him to him, and she's like, we're going to keep this a secret. Like, you need to lie for me. I'm going to get my pickings of what I want, and then we can send this off to high charity and the profits. But I am going to keep this for myself. Yeah, because she wants a win-win. Because her whole thing is that, you know, as a ship's captain, she wants to take time off to start a family. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking that if I can take some of these reliquaries for myself to have as kind of valuable possessions mm-hmm. and to use them either for leverage or to get out of being around, you know, Dadab or any of these other... Um, Idiots, I guess. Yeah, that, yeah, that are on the ship. And so, so she's kind of like, okay, we're not really... Going against what they want, we're just delaying yeah. them knowing. Well, it also talks about how, like, the we kind of learned about the Kigyar, and is they're not really part of the covenant because of religious reasons. They were kind of just brought in because they were they were pirates. Like, mm-hmm. we learned a bit about their backstory that they were pirates and they fucked with each other. After a while, there was some peace, but then they fell back to their old ways and started stealing from each other again. And so she comes from a long line of ship mistresses. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as you said, she wants to kind of just start a family or at least mate and hatch some, I think, eggs, right? Yeah. They, they... So the ship mistress entrusted Dob with this. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she had kind of monologued that she didn't really trust him and didn't really want anything to do with the Ungoys. She thought about, like, killing him at one point. Yeah. She, she said, was... like, setting him out of an airlock. Yeah, she's like, it could be that easy. But she's like, I, I kind of do need him for this because he can talk to the Hurgok, and she kind of hates that, mm-hmm. but she likes that she doesn't have to do it herself and, like, figure yeah. this out. So she's like, I'm going to trust you with this. Mm-hmm. And so we then go on to our boy, Henry Hank Gibson. This is a man right here. This is a man's man's of a man's ships. Yeah, because he has his own ship, This End Up. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is it's rare for a ship to be piloted by someone who isn't an AI. And yeah. he, he even talks about, he makes a comment about, already been divorced twice or three times and he had to take out a hefty loan for it he says but he loves being his own boss yeah he's his own boss and the other plus side he has too is since he's not really registered under like any of sith ships that have to be controlled by ai he kind of takes some stuff you know under the table or on the side that may not be you know the perfect cargo to take yeah he definitely uh dodging them taxes as well like he's doing his own thing this is a I said, this is a cool guy right here. I, I, we were talking to Alex earlier. I said, this guy smokes in hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> Not the greatest. Terrible person. But cool guy. So, so yeah, so, so he, he, he's transporting some cargo from Mars. So he has mm-hmm. some of the Jotuns. So some of these prototype Jotun harvesters who he's transporting over to harvest. And so on the way, he starts to get boarded. Yeah, and he, he's already, like he says, like if they're going to board it, they're going to buy it. Like he's yeah. pissed. So he's like, are you kidding me so then yeah eventually as the crew of minor transgression makes their way through there the dob is the dob's on there and he's attacked like he gets hit from behind yeah because he's one of the first because he makes his way through and he's looking at the boxes and he sees like Jotun on one of them mm-hmm. and then he looks up and sees an alien and then gets hit on the hit on the head yeah he gets hit and he's automatically freaking out he's trying to talk to him and, and hit, it's like, like, stop, peace. But like, he's got like a cracked mask. He doesn't speak, you know, yeah. a human language. And... and so he, this guy has no idea what he's saying. So he goes to deliver a killing blow with this fire extinguisher. And all of a sudden he drops dead. And then everyone else kind of like shows up and they're like, oh, what the hell happened? And Dodd walks out and pulls a rock out of the back of this guy's head. And lighter than some actually 
saved Adab by throwing the rock. And he himself, he even said, that's one. Yeah. So you played the game after all. Yeah, and, and it shows that, I would say, for the most part, that kind of morality question that isn't lost on the Hurricox, it seems so much more like that human consciousness, like not just doing this modern human knowledge. It's not just like a religious endeavor. He's like, I uh-huh. don't want to kill. Like, I don't want to do anything with this. And we learn later, like, he's super sad he did it. Uh-huh. He's like, I did save you, my friend, but I had to take a life, which I never wanted to do. Yeah, it, it, it's that thing. Would you would you take a life to save a friend mm-hmm. or save a family member? And he had to do that in this instance. Mm-hmm. So then we move on to the training of the colonial militia. And so we see Captain Ponder, Johnson, Byrne, and Healy are all tasked with raising the militia to protect Harvest from the growing threat of insurrection. Because that's mm-hmm. like kind of the big thing. These ships are disappearing. What's going on? And so we meet some main-ish characters, Jenkins, Forsell, Wick, and Anderson. And there's two squads being trained, one squad by Johnson and one by Byrne. And, th- and those four are on Johnson's squad. Yep. Through all this training, we see everything going on. And so around the end of the day for training, Ponder informs Johnson, like, hey, we're going to a party. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, great way to end the day. So they both get dressed up, they get on a warthog, and they make their way towards this party. And at that point, Johnson is like, okay, I'm going to kind of break the ice. I'm going to ask him because he knows. He's like, he knows why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why Burns here, but I'm going to ask him. So he makes some small talk about his arm and Ponder goes on to a story how, you know, he's fighting the insurrection. Long story short, he jumped on a grenade. It, yeah, yeah. It's so a lot they, more longer and in-depth with that, but... But it, it boils back down to kind of, you know, almost Johnson's story mm-hmm. where instead of holding fire on someone... They actually were too trigger happy uh-huh. and they shot this guy who had a grenade. It dropped. And so, yeah. So to save his team, he he jumped on it and lost his arm, you know, paying for it. Johnson's like, damn, my whole team died. Yeah, that's why I paid. <laughs> but yeah. And so basically Ponder says, you know, listen, let's let's cut the bullshit. You want to know why you're here. Mm-hmm. I also want to know why I'm here. And they both realize neither one of them know why I'm here. He's like, I'm missing an arm. What am I doing here? Like, Yeah, because he realized, because he brings up, he's like, Johnson, I know all about you and Trebuchet. Like, I, I understand what happened, but you're fit for duty. You know, you and you and Byrne are both fit for duty. So why would they send you to, you know, a, a colonial harvesting planet yeah, to raise a militia? It plus, you're like, you're a hardcore fucking dude. Like, yeah. You're a dude that's trained to kill a child if it meant takes out well, a terrorist kinda. like well you know what i mean like <laughs> kill a child to take out a terrorist kind of situation like you're bred to do that mm-hmm. we're all kind of really confused here so at the end of this trip to this party we kind of realize like no one really is all the wiser as to why they're there so yeah as they show up to this party we meet governor thune he's kind of this this big loud burly guy and they even like note that when they shake his hand they're like for a politician, he's got a pretty mean shake, and we learned that he he was a farmer himself at one point. Yeah, and he he harvested on harvest, mm-hmm. you know, without the necessary input from all of these Jotuns and everything. He did uh-huh. you know he did it the, the old farming ways, an old farmhand. Well, because he talks about how his his families were farmers in the Midwest. He says his family descends from what Minnesota, mm-hmm. so, and it's cool that him and Johnson kind of swap like they're both you know they both descend from the Midwest. Johnson actually being from the Chicago area. And something I like that's kind of a little off topic, but it's it's cool to see how they dive into like these sci-fi scenarios of people living on other planets because they talk about on harvest people's fashion 
that like their current fashion trend just died out in the inner colonies, but they're just picking it up. I always love like little kind of details like that, that they kind of work in there. Yeah, it's similar to like how in the, the U.S., like your coastal cities, like L.A., New York, things like that will get fashion trends or trends of themselves. Yeah, the trendsetters. Bef- the trendsetters before, uh, you know, us lames in the Midwest <laughs> start to look cool. Yeah, and we also meet Raul Peterson, who is the attorney general, but that's how he's introduced. But he says, I'm just... I'm attorney. just a lawyer for this. Yeah, I'm just the lawyer. And it's even kind of funny, like, you see how much power he really doesn't have because Thune's like, yeah, he helped negotiate the militia. And then he's like, nah, it was really demanded by the UNSC. So he was just kind of there to deliver the message. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I don't really pardon that. Yeah, I even like we see that Mac, that AI, he pops up and he kind of like he interacts with the community like people love him he's telling stories to kids he controls the fireworks that are going on yeah he's everyone's favorite uncle yeah th- that's what they said like it's it, you know he's just like the guy that everyone likes and so eventually johnson goes to find like a quote unquote dance because on their way to the party ponder says listen like you need to find a girl to dance with and johnson's like is that is that an order sir and he's like yes that's an order so then ponder says avery here he needs to find a dance so then we see a dance partner, a dance partner. Yeah. Dance, dance partner, whatever. He needs to find a dance. <laughs> just a good song to dance to. You know, he needs to find like a break dance or is a waltz. He's just looking for a dance. <laughs> but yeah. And then so Johnson meets El Signe and she's dressed up too at the party. Yeah. And so this is where we see her. You know, she's like dressed to the nines. You know, Johnson definitely notices it. Mm-hmm. And they he notices that one woman from across the room cliche while it, everyone's blurred out. Exactly. So like people are talking to him, but he's just staring at her going <laughs> off. So he makes her way and they introduce and, you know, he, he, he wasn't really sure what to do because she was wearing I forget what rank she was, but she had like a rank on her mm-hmm. on her on her on her dress she had. And he wasn't really sure how to greet her. And of course, we wear ranks on our dress clothes. Exactly. And so we're kind of figuring out that she may be a little different than just. A regular UNSC middle manager. Uh-huh. And she's like, you know, kissing's for politicians. We can shake. Like, let's shake hands. Let's go over here and talk. And so, you know, everybody's like, all right, cool. We can go. We can go talk well, over we there. We can go talk. Yeah. And at this part, you know, she's asking, you know, you, you do know why you're here, right? Yeah. Well, she starts to reveal that she, like, knows about him. She's, like, reading off a serial number. Yeah. She's, she's like, you know, this serial number, this is yours. And then that's when he kind of goes... Yes, why do you know that? Because it's classified. He's like, you shouldn't know anything about me. Yeah, and so she keeps bringing up, you know, about uh, Trebuchet and about these things. And he gets on the defensive. He's like, you need to tell me right now why you know these things, or I won't, you know, hesitate to put a bullet. Mm -hmm. And she finally reveals, like, well, well, I'm Oni. That's why. And then she's like, you're here because we have a mission for you. Mm -hmm. And so basically in the middle of this party, she's like, yeah, you and Bern are coming with me. Yeah. So... He didn't really get to enjoy the party long, unfortunately, but I guess, you know, it, I don't think that was his scene anyways. But here's the thing, though. He did get to see a sweet Mac round firework. Yeah, that that happened around the very end of that firework show. They fired off a Mac round, and they even made a comment how, like, Sif knows that's against regulations. That's why she doesn't show up to these things, because she's yeah. upset about it. Like, we learn more and more about the personality of these, these AIs that... I personally, they're some of my favorite AIs or just characters in general. Yeah, because it's lore. Well, it's really where we get to like deep dive into not only seeing them on screen, whether they're in a game or whether they're in a movie or, or whatnot, mm-hmm. but we actually get to hear like the inner workings. Mm-hmm. That's more than just once again boring ass Cortana. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, I will besmirch her name all day long. <laughs> But we get to know more outside of that, even though we basically have Cortana 2.0. 
So now we move back to the crew of the minor transgression. They're making their way to Harvest. Yeah, because they're following that route that they got from that dumb ship AI. Mm-hmm. So they're following along that same route back to its origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and during this, they're on a ship bulk discount, and it's like a dummy ship. They're trying to, like, lure them in. They're trying to, like, lure whoever's taking out some of these ships in Harvest. Yeah, because we learn that Alcigny is creating this plan that we need to see why these insurrectionists are taking these ships. Mm-hmm. First, they took one with an AI that had some food. Then they take one that had, you know, an actual human captain. Yeah, so there's no agenda here. No. So, and they, and they, they thought it was insurrectionists. That's why they brought Johnson and Burton there. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, like we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to bring these these hardcore guys in. So if it is the insurrection, we're ready for them. We have guys that have chewed them up day and night. Yeah, because I think both the Horn of Plenty and this end up were on the exact same route or pretty much mm-hmm. the same route. Yeah. So they kind of figured in that area is where they would slip jump to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ship's anti-gravity and – right? Well, so so whenever whenever the ship ruptures, so basically uh, you have the minor transgression having now found its third ship prey that is mm-hmm. registering these same kind of you know artifacts and forerunner tech that they're like, oh, we got a third one coming in, perfect. So whenever they attach a little umbilical cord thingy, mm-hmm. their little tube, yeah, then, then it basically vents it, yeah, and and you know, so there's they're waiting. There's no there's no gravity, and also they have prototype weapons. Most notably, the BR, because that was a huge complaint when people saw the cover of Contact Harvest. They're like, whoa, 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 we didn't see that thing until Halo 2, and it wasn't first introduced until First Strike, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So it's established, like, no, this was a prototype weapon. Yeah, most of the weapons that they were using on this mission, Alcigny had access to. She's like, here's all these prototypes, use them. Yeah, and so they attack the Kigyar that are on the ship. They're kind of like monitoring them before they finally attack them. Yeah, so they, they learn that, I think it's the the three kind of main Kigyar, and then the shipmaster comes mistress. in. Shipmistress, excuse me. The shipmistress comes in, and she's kind of talking from her point. They're like looking around, trying to see what these boxes are, and she gets clipped. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, so Johnson takes that shot, but not realizing how much kickback it'll have in zero G because that it's, using it's it. a triple round too. Yeah, that's a three round burst. So Al Signy did a horrible job. Here's a gun. Figure out how it works in zero G. Yeah, so so he the first round hits, the other two go off and you know he's now shot backwards and because that's, he was embracing himself. And that's when the Kigyar come and attack him and Burn. And Johnson takes out the the Kigyar attacking him, but Burn gets stabbed in the leg with a knife. And then they realize it's it's like an explosive, correct? Because he, he tells them, like, pull it out. Yeah, because he starts hearing, like, beep or flash or whatever. And he's like, mm-hmm. pull it out. So he, he pulls it out of his leg, which is awesome, and then just stabs it into the kid in front of him and then kicks him away. Yeah, and that explodes. So after they eliminate the third threat, Johnson, with, I guess, a fuel of adrenaline and kind of, like, just ferociousness of seeing, like, they're shooting lizards. They've never seen yeah. aliens except for humans since this point. He chases them through the umbilical that's attached. Mm-hmm. And gets on to the Kigyar ship. Yeah. And so as he's going through, you know, he notices some aliens running around that aren't really paying attention to him. He notices one of the Huragaks and notices, like, he's like this pink kind of balloon animal. So he's seeing, like, multiple races already. And he's like, uh-oh. Yeah, and he's, like, not understanding this. And so he finally gets the shipmaster, uh, shipmaster, excuse me, and uh, starts firing on her. And, mm-hmm. and on her side, she's thinking, you know, I'm... I, I wanted to, you know, breed. I wanted to do these things, but I'm not going to be able to. Like this what-if-life 
flash before her eyes. Like, I wanted all these things. I don't get to because I'm getting killed. Yeah, because I think she, she raided for, like, the Deacon, and the Deacon was already going to an escape pod, and mm-hmm. she raided for these other people who never made it. So her thing, she's like, well, you know, if, if I'm going out, I'm going out to the ship, and I'm taking the alien with me. Mm-hmm. So she ends up firing upon the room where the grunts usually were and igniting the methane. Mm-hmm. And then that blows you know the ship apart. It hit Johnson hits against it, and then that's what that's yeah that's fade to black that. fade to fade, black fade to black. And so yeah, and after that you know we learn that okay, Dadab and Lighter Than Some get the hell out of there. They get an escape pod. They almost don't make it because he's waiting for Lighter Than Some until the last second. But they get out and you know they they make their way away from the ensuing explosion. So then now the narrative changes completely away from humanity. And now we're on High Charity, the home world of the Covenant. Yeah, so so this is our section break, kind of, I guess, in the second section of the book. Uh-huh. And it's kind of preparing us for what's going to happen. Yeah, so we meet the Sang Shayum, who, who are the prophets, mm-hmm. the Minister of Fortitude. And, and we also learn that it's like it's within the 23rd Age of Doubt. We learn a little bit about how the Covenant, you know, what age it is and whatnot. It's kind of confusing, and it's based on the seven different rings. But right now we're in the 23rd Age of Doubt. Yeah, it's based on the, you know, the seven bungee rings along (laughs) with the uh, seven bungee ages. Yeah, and so we, you know, we kind of learn a little bit about this guy, and we learn that he's kind of fed up with his job. It's like a lot of boring paperwork and bullshit because he talks about how— there was an incident between the Ungoy and the Kigyar, and how, long story short, the Ungoy, you know, had too many, too many in their species, so they had to move some Kigyar out of this area, and it prevented them from breeding. So they got pissed off, and they killed a bunch of Ungoy. They, they poisoned their methane and killed a bunch of Ungoy. When it was brought to some higher—I don't think it was the higher prophets, or was it? It was the, it was the higher prophets. They basically were like— who cares? And the the minister of fortitude was like, listen, I, he he thought to himself like, I don't care so much about these these grunts, the, these ungoy. He's like, but justice is justice. Like this is bullshit. Well, and because he talks about too that you know with an ungoy rebellion, the covenant can still go on. It's just an annoyance. Mm-hmm. But if you start losing ungoys and grunts who are trying to be in service of the Sangili. And make sure the elites are happy having, you know, fighting forces with them. Mm-hmm. If they lose the Sangheili, like, the Covenant's done. It's this kind of what they're saying. Yeah, and so eventually the Ungoy do rebel. And they learn very quickly, like, oh, shit, these guys are kind of tough when they're pissed. Mm-hmm. So they they actually make a good dent. Not so much a good dent, but they they make an impression. Long story short, you know, they are overcome. I don't know, maybe spoiler, if it's established in this book. But a lot of their planet, Valaho, is glassed mm-hmm. in order to prevent that. And so something that was kind of confusing to the prophets is that the elites welcomed them back with open arms. They said, OK, you've proved yourself. You are now you are now actually soldiers amongst us. Yeah, because like, we you, respect you. You proved yourself in combat. It, it was more so that even though like they thought lesser of them and they're kind of like. And that they're the kind of lesser of all of the species within the covenant mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, they did learn to respect them and learn that. Hey, if we put a gun in your hand or, you know, we put some of them, put some of them chompers in someone, you know, you're pretty good to go. Yeah. And so we also learn more about, was it the, the lights of Sanghelios? Yeah. So this is like any of those white armored elites you see. Mm-hmm. They're like the cream of the crop kind of like soldiers that protect 
and also kind of enforce the religious aspect of the covenant. Yeah. So, so as a, with whenever we we meet the Mister Fortitude, we kind of we start getting some backstory to the covenant, as well as seeing like some politics play out and see that this guy. He's got a boring desk desk job, and he's kind of fed up with it. He's like, "I this this shit sucks. I don't want to do this anymore." But he's kind of at a loss of what to do at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then we move back to Avery, and we see that he's having nightmares about not only his his aunt, but we learn that he's having that reoccurring nightmare, kind of modified of the trebuchet mission, because mm-hmm. he's now seeing Al Signy there too. Yeah. So instead of you know, what would have been um, the woman who set the bomb off or that truck driver who was there. Uh-huh. She's now in that bar stool and is, you know, saying like, you know, Avery, you got to you got to relax. You got to mm-hmm. relax. Like everything's burning around him. And this part was really well written. Mm-hmm. This was a part where I visualized everything that was going on very cinematically. It went well. And it was written cinematically because it started off with him as like a young boy in church clothes, mm-hmm. you know, at his aunt's. Talk, but he's talk, eat, Yeah, talk to his aunt. Yeah, but he's eating like this frozen fruit and it's like bitter and like it's tough and he can't do this and he can't move. And then transitions to basically, I think, all of the very significant moments of his life that mm-hmm. went well with his, you know, with his aunt loving her. But losing her, failing the mission at Trebuchet, and just everything that comes with it, and now we're starting to see this relationship with Alcigny, which really hasn't amounted to anything yet. Like she's in the dream and is part mm-hmm. of it, and you know, is something Avery doesn't want to lose. Yeah, and so eventually he does wake up from it, and Alcigny is there. Mm-hmm. We learn that Burns did survive. He actually, so- they, they said he sewed himself up. Yeah, he, he was from a- the he the was stab. able to save uh, him and Avery from the ship. And yeah, while Burn was waiting for recovery, waiting for, you know, Avery's like, eh, I got some time, just stitched up, you know, his knife wound. Yeah, which is, he probably just poured whiskey on it and just went about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so then Thune comes in and they inform Thune of everything that was going on. And Thune's kind of asking, you know, hey, like he's asking a lot of questions, trying to gauge the situation. And basically Avery says, Avery says, like, listen, we won, but we had the element of surprise. Like, they know now. They're going to come back with more. Yeah, they're saying, like, oh, well, you know, they attacked us first. We then won the fist fight, but they're going to win the war. Like, we need to make sure we're prepped for this. So, yeah, basically it's kind of like, all right, well, let's prepare for this, but let's not tell anyone. Yeah, because Thune is thinking of this, you know, as the governor. Basically, think of it as, like, the president of the entire planet or the king of the entire planet. It's it's that cliche of, like, every—like, t- a politician, like, within, you know, Jaws, they don't want to shut down the beach because yeah. the mayor's like, it's 4th of July. Same with Stranger Things Season 3. Oh, we, we shouldn't do any of this because it's the 4th of July. It's, like, it's always the politician not wanting to tell anyone cliche kind of thing because, mm-hmm. like, we'll lose money on the planet kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and trying to, you know, keep his position. But I think for him, too, he also understands, like— you don't want to cause uproar of the first alien interaction ever. Mm-hmm. And it, you're like, hey, people of Harvest, they're coming here to kill us all. It, it makes me wonder how many times alien attacks have been covered up already. But yeah, so so once Avery, you know, he says, you know, well, I have he gets out because they're like, you need to rest for a minute. And he's like, no, 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 I'm good to go. So they go back to train the militia. And something we didn't mention before is right before Avery and Ponder went to that party, Jenkins was a, a bunch of the the militiamen were getting ready to do some sniper uh, sniper training, or they they were getting ready to learn how to shoot. Yeah, so so they they had just started to pick up some guns, and like Jenkins and a couple of the other ones that were in Johnson's group had never picked up a gun before. They were farmers, mm-hmm. they were yeah. farmhands, and so the militia kind of consisted of 
farmhands, people around town, and mm-hmm. the police force. They even mentioned that some of the police had never fired their gun. Yeah, like they, never, they, never actually took it out of the holster. Yeah, they've like obviously trained with it, but never mm-hmm. had to use them. So they yeah. were kind of rusty and all that. So they started it, and we learned that you know after like I think it was only a day of with Jenkins and, firing around mm-hmm. that he achieved sniper class, basically marksman. Uh huh. Yeah, and then Forsell, who was with him, is his spotter. Yeah. So because so, you know it goes, there's this section where they they're sitting there and they're just having conversation as they're firing. They're having a conversation about Jotuns, and you know when Johnson comes back from the hospital, he's like Jenkins, how'd you do? And he's like, ah, oh, marksman. And he's like, bullshit. And he's like, yeah, marksman. So he like looks at Forsell. He's like, he's like, you like this big son of a bitch? And he's like, yeah. He's like, cool. He's your spotter now. And then he even starts making kind of some jokes. Like, yeah, he starts keeping coming, it light now. Yeah, he starts coming. Like, we see that development because he kind of learns, like, I need these men to be trained soldiers. I need them to hate me but respect me. I also need to be personable. So, you know, we start to see, okay, he's kind of being that more humorous one-liner character and makes a joke about Forcel's big head or, or something along those lines. And so after we, we, we hear... The new and improved Johnson, after mm-hmm. his skirmish with death, uh, we go back to Sif. And Sif is trying to figure out what happened with not only the two ships that disappeared, but the ship that Al Signy hailed. Mm-hmm. She hailed basically this larger freighter to take him through slip space, but attached a smaller ship to it and then had a different ship with it. And she's like, what is this configuration? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so she's like, something's going on behind my back, and I have one job here, and you guys are doing it for me. I don't like this. Yeah, so she she discovers this signal message that was from one of the ships that she had sent out that was basically claiming, hey, you know, we have injured on board. This is Captain So-and-so. We need to help. And she's like, but there was no captain on that ship. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to figure out why they were even attempting to not only deceive her, but, like, what was their purpose of doing these things without letting her know? Yeah, and this, this you know, going down this rabbit hole, she ends up talking with Mac about this. And she kind of goes to meet up with Mac in his data centers, where she even notes, like, these are really nice, because this guy's kind of character hologram is, like, a really dirty cowboy. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, because he asks her, he's like, hey, I, I need your help with something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I need you to come in here. And, it, and it's not normal for another AI to go into another basically cluster of other brains of the other mm-hmm. AI. You don't go into their apartment, basically. Yeah. You guys shout from each other's windows. Exactly. Yeah, and so this is where we kind of learn something about Mac, is that we learn that Mac is one side of a coin. He actually has a doppelganger, the other side of that coin, which is Loki. And we found out Loki was actually in charge of bringing everyone over to Harvest. Yeah, from the OG times. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And so basically then, you know, Loki's also kind uh, of—he's planetary security intelligence. So then, you know, clearly when you're on Harvest and there's no reason for that, he switches back to Mac, who's just the simple farmer AI, I guess you want to call it. So we kind of learn, like, he informs, like, listen— Loki's got to come out. It's kind of like this weird Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, because Loki is a lot more tactical and serious and straightforward. Doesn't Yeah, just very curt with it. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, so so Mac wants to inform her because, like, Harvest is going to be in trouble, mm-hmm. and I need all the help I can get preparing for this. And this is where we actually kind of see Sif not annoyed with Mac, because at one point he, like, takes her hand. Yeah, she's very fascinated by this. She's like, you're not, like, one-line quipping me. You're not trying to, like... 
rile the bear. Mm-hmm. You're actually being very sincere, and it's odd. Yeah, and so he says, you know, like, listen, th- this is this has to happen. I need your help, but you may not see me again. Yeah, and so she's like, no, I'm out of here. But with the help of Loki as well, he throws up a firewall, and she can't leave. Yeah. So she can get back to where she is, and Matt kind of envelops her in all of his code and everything, and, like, has her explore it, which doesn't happen, I guess. Yeah. And she, like, absorbed his knowledge and absorbed, like, what he goes through and all these other things, and she, like, said she had a newfound respect for everything he does. Yeah, she realized, like, yeah, he does a lot more than I thought he does. It's, it, the, of course, it's, like, one of those things you gotta, you gotta read this or listen to it on audiobook, but... Definitely, there's a lot of kind of that AI coding talk going on. Oh, he threw up this this matrix algorithm, and she processed that, and then went through this firewall. That's not verbatim, but close enough. Yeah, it pretty much is, because you know who won't throw up a firewall on you when you're trying to discover the inner workings of them? Who? Uh, That's Audible. And so today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership, which you guys can just kind of do away with. You just get your free book from them. So you just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. We've been recommending them for a while. Jesse and I both use them mm-hmm. to kind of power through these for you guys because it's a lot kind of getting book by book by book. Mm-hmm. But definitely recommend it. Uh, it allows us to... One, be on the go when we're doing this, and find a newfound respect for audiobooks especially. Uh, well, it helps with multitasking, because yeah. when I'm at work half the time, I half of these books that we do, I consume at work alone. Mm-hmm. I can't just pull out a book at my desk and just read it and not do anything. And same with you when you're working. Yeah, and it helps with that with, with in the car, road trips, at work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the elliptical, running, whatever. It's kind of nice. It's a little different than music. Yeah. Yeah. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Again, it's audibletrial.com slash finish the fight for your free audiobook. Thank you, Audible, for sponsoring today's podcast. So now we move on to Dadab and Lighter Than Some, and they're currently in the escape pod. Yeah. And they're in this, uh, they're in a dilemma, a yeah, stinky dilemma. Yeah, a very stinky, stereotypical dilemma. Two buddies. Stuck out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and so Dadab only had one extra methane tank. Yeah, that was one of the big things, was when they were trying to uh, escape minor transgression, he's like trying to grab as many tanks as he can, and I think he had two extras. Mm-hmm. But by this point, he's already used both of those, and he's down to one last one. Yeah, and so we we learn that Hurgot can basically eat anything, and when they fart, it's methane. So it's getting weaker and weaker, just eating and farting and it's kind of allowing Dadab to live but they're both becoming weaker and weaker and they're both kind of fearing their end and you see that lighter than some is slowly kind of floating towards the ground like yeah, he's becoming weaker and weaker well I guess so what they're doing is yeah they eat pretty much any organic material that's just edible at that point to yeah. like regurgitate making to like methane and other things but it's you know obviously helped Dadab to refill his tank up to be able to breathe that in mm-hmm. and so he's apparently had to like engorge himself like crazy eating this stuff and then falls asleep and then uh. farts it all out and then does it again. And it's like, and it's also like weakening him like yeah, to, it's, to, it's, to do that. Cause it's like, he's like making himself fart this out and it's just like weak, like making him weak. Yeah. And it's also disgusting. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so, so he's like, you know, I feel so bad. My friend is basically keeping me alive. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, when it kind of come, comes time to the end, they get in touch with rapid conversion. Yeah. Yeah. They get a, uh, Distress signal from that, like, like, hey, is there is there anyone aboard this life vessel? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, come on, like, bring us in. So they do bring them in onto the rapid conversion, 
But they're they were in zero G, correct? Yeah, because they're floating around space. Yeah. And then once they're brought into the rapid conversion, they realize like, oh, the artificial gravity is hurting lighter than some because he's so weak. Yeah, because right he's now. now getting compressed in the ground. Because the uh-huh. only thing that Dadab was saying that was keeping him alive was having that zero G, so he could n- not have to worry about floating himself. He just kind of like the, you know, the, yeah, no gravity did. And so instantly, the crew of the rapid conversion are like trying to open up the. The, the escape pod, and Dadab's like, no, no, please do not, because then that, that gravity will kill him. So he he activates the pod. So yeah, he activates the thrusters. Thrusters on it, but as part of that, he activates the stasis field, uh-huh. and the stasis field brings it back to a zero-G experience for them, but not knowing that also activates the pods, he then launches the escape pod across the shuttle bay they're in. And he kills a bunch of, we learn, is he, he kills a bunch of Yan Mei, the buggers, mm-hmm. and destroys the spirit dropship. And we'll learn why kind of that's a huge issue here soon. But yeah, so he kind of fucked up royally, but he also was doing everything he could to keep lighter than some alive. Yeah. So, you know, as this is all happening, it moves on to where we meet Maccabeus for the first time. He is the chieftain of the brutes. Top dog gets whatever he wants. And we're currently in the the like the, the lunchroom. Yeah, basically. It's, it's in the feasting hall. And, yeah. and, and we come to learn that with the Jirohane joining the Covenant is that they also wanted to keep a lot of their own traditions and a lot mm-hmm. of their own homeworld feel alive. Mm-hmm. So there's like gaslit lanterns in there mm-hmm. and there's wooden tables. It's very Clawfoot much wooden tables. It's very much what you'd see in like World of Warcrafty feel. Like the yeah. kind of like taverny mm-hmm. feel to it is what we're what I'm thinking as I go through. Yeah. Well we also learn a little bit of backstory about mm-hmm. them too is that they basically almost they they had a civil war that put them back hundreds of years, thousands of years. Yeah, think of it as like if if today we all hit the nukes and then we reset back to having no yeah. tech, no technology, and had to yeah. rediscover everything. They they were just working on getting radios back, like before the covenant came in and brought them in. Mm-hmm. But we kind of also learned that with them being in the covenant, that didn't mean it was like cool. We get all the shit you have because Zhang Healy kind of were not a fan of them. So Minder Transgression is actually the only brute-controlled ship. And they're like, you can have this ship, but we're going to make it a giant piece of shit. Like, yeah. they took away the weapons. They didn't give them a Huragak. And they, they said, you learned, they took away the elevators, too. So everywhere they went was on ladders. Or I guess for the Yanmei, they could just fly. But for the most part, everyone was on ladders. And so we get to learn a little bit more about the Covenant as well as, as Maccabeus is kind of giving this prayer over this thorn beast and this mm-hmm. huge kind of dinner that they're going to have coming Which, up. It's a little callback to CE, because mm-hmm. Thornbees were supposed to be in that. Yep, and he's he, he talks in detail how delicious and tasty the morsels are of it. Yeah, and uh, how he likes that small horn. He yeah, talks about like, that's the, the his favorite part. He, like, rips off some of, like, the brain appendage and other stuff. It's He loves it. He loves that <laughs> stuff. Anyway, so he, he gives a prayer and talks about the seven rings, the seven bungee rings. And it gives us all of the ages that the Covenant will go through, mm-hmm. depending on how their shitty, older, flappy floaters will tell them what age they're in. Yeah, which Alex and I actually got into kind of a, a deep conversation about earlier. And I really said that, like, whatever age they feel is just the vibe. Yeah. That's really is. Like, what's the vibe right now? Yeah. And that's so, the age. And that's what it is. And so we've got seven. So we've got the age of abandonment, the age of conflict, the age of reconciliation, age of discovery, age of conversion. Age of Doubt, which we're currently in, and the Age of Reclamation. Yeah, so as we kind of learn about that, that's when we're introduced to Tartarus. Mm-hmm. He hits up his uncle, who's kind of pissed that he's being interrupted right before this meal. 
It's like, listen, you need to come down here. We kind of have this problem. He's kind of like saying, like, it can wait. And he's like, no, it really can't. And so Tar- Tartarus is Maccabeus's nephew. And he kind of learns, like, I'm not giving him special treatment, but since he's my nephew, he knows what is important to me versus what's not important. So that's like, I know this is important. So he makes his way to that drop pod. And that's when we see the destruction of destroying that spirit dropship and killing a bunch of Yanmei. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing like the, the chaos of it. And he's, he's pissed mm-hmm. until he gets over there and discovers that not only is there an Ungoy in there, it's a Deacon Ungoy, mm-hmm. which is already part of the Covenant Religious Sect. And then he also discovers that there's a Huragak in there. Yeah, because they, they were not allowed any Huragak. Mm-hmm. And there are things that the Yanmei... Yanmei, as much as they are also soldiers, they, they're also engineers. And so basically he's like tight. A lot of these Yanmei can't fix certain things like weapons on our ship. He's like, Huragak can literally fix anything ever. So he's like, we're not breaking the rules. Like we never took one. Like they just kind of came to us. So, you know, he's happy, but, you know, he's really weak right now. But, you know, Dadab like kind of lifts him out of there and is getting help I, with him. Yeah. And that's when he says, you know, give him room, like, like let him, let him breathe, let him get up there. Yeah. And it's great because, you know, they, Everyone's offering his condolences, like, sorry about the meal. And Maccabeus is like, it's okay. We'll just have our new deacon bless the second one. Well, because they say, like, he sees all this happening. He sees a deacon in Hergok, and he laughs so loud with, like, a belly laugh that it scares the shit out of the Yanmei, and they just disappear. Yeah. It's, like, it's like if you see a bunch of cats, and you, like, yell, and they just, like, disappear instantly. Like, that's literally what happened. And so they're like, sweet, we're pretty good right now. He's, like, not mad at all at this mm-hmm. point. Kind of move back to Harvest, the narrative does. And so we see Bernard Johnson getting ready to face the whole militia. We learn about this this kind of crazy thing that's going on. Is basically it's the first time they're going to use live fire, uh-huh. but it's, it's those like stun rounds. Yeah, stun yeah. rounds. And so it's seventy two versus two, or roughly that. And basically, you know, whichever team can knock out fifty percent of the other team wins. So yeah. it's like so Johnson and Byrne have to go for thirty six, and then all of the militia has to go for one. Yeah, so, you know, and in this this whole scene is crazy because it's like you see what what is it? Burn takes control of a a Jotun at one point or is like kind of driving it through, correct? It's a pretty crazy battle. I mean, the militia set up. I think there was like a 3-day time limit. I believe that's what it was, something like mm-hmm. that. And they figured that you know, they would attack right away, kind of get them off guard and they mm-hmm. just hadn't. And so they've been Inspecting out, watching the Jotuns, seeing what's going on, and this four-door sedan starts to make its way towards them. And so you have a couple of them, you know, hail the car down, and they can't see inside because the windows are all, like, crazy tinted. Mm-hmm. And as they get close, the doors fly open, and claymores go off, mm-hmm. sending out, uh, you know, these little balls of that paralyzing paint, I guess, if best way to say yeah, it. Yeah, it's paintball. It's paintball, but what it does is it reacts to the suits, that they're wearing, so it, yeah. it basically paralyzes and contorts that area. So if you're hitting a leg, it like stuns your leg and you can't use it. Yeah. So a lot of some of these guys take it from that claymore and they're down, and you know everyone starts to panic and f- trying to figure out what's going on because they they even were pretty smart and they took their motion sensor and expanded it far out of its reach to see like if there's anything out there, mm-hmm. not knowing that the spores from this fertilizer or whatever it was is confusing. That motion tracker. Yeah, because they made it down to anything that moves, yeah. basically. And they didn't realize they were getting it down to, like, almost a microscopic level. Yeah, and so we have Johnson out in the field who's just coded in it, you know, just crawling, like, <laughs> a tiny bit each time. 
finally jumps up on a Jotun, and with the help of Mac, they kind of bring that Jotun closer, and Johnson's able to slip in, and you just hear people going down. It, it's, it's such a crazy scene that's it's, going It's amazing. On. It's one of those where, once again, Staten's done really well at writing cinematically. Uh-huh. It's a really cool cinematic scene that does really well at talking about the chaos of it, talks really well about you know how people are feeling and, and trying to scan the area, and it ends with Johnson up on the rooftop where you have Jenkins and Forsell, and they actually end up kind of tricking him. They think, or he, uh, Johnson thinks that they're going to stay up at their sniper post because that's what they were assigned mm-hmm. to, but they actually drop down to flank him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have Jenkins pull a sidearm, Johnson pulls a sidearm, but you hear like an alarm go off, like that's it, game over, right when they're both, you know, aiming at each other, and you realize that uh, Osmo had shot Burn. Uh-huh, yeah, so it's like, well, we won, which is still like all the shit that they were doing and taking everyone out. It's like they almost didn't win. Yeah, because I think the final score was 32 to 1. So mm-hmm. right off that mark. Yeah. And so, you know, in lieu of this victory, Ponder informs Burns and Johnson's like, hey, our uh, guests that we were expecting, they've arrived. Yeah. So now we, it's like all of a sudden it moves on and we see that uh, we, we move back to the rapid conversion. Mm-hmm. And so we see Dadab is basically trying to do his job. It's just yeah. he's like preaching, you know, doing a sermon, and and none of the ungoy there really give a shit. They yeah, don't care because his biggest thing is like he said earlier. He's like, I want a flock. Like that's what you want when you work in the ministries. You want a flock to listen to you that you can mm-hmm. you can kind of bring up in power and up in speed for these things. Yeah, and like kind of get them motivated and mm-hmm. know really more about it. What we find out is that they're. They're they're the the dumbest of the dumb because mm-hmm. Tartarus even says like clearly we've kind of been fucked over by the elites multiple times already so of course they're gonna give us like bottom of the barrel ungoy too and that's just kind of something that Tadab has to deal with but he also is still there to act as a translator for lighter than some so Maccabeus t- task lighter than some with making repairs to the ship's weapons because as he said you know the Yanme can't do this and the Zangheili disabled these on purpose. But with this guy here, and we just kind of let him do his thing, which is literally just repair everything, we're good to go. We're not breaking any rules. Like, kind of loophole thing. Yeah, because you also discovered that, you know, with the Yanmei, that they're they're good, but they're they're drones. They're, they're very task-oriented. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we do this thing, and that's it. Whereas with Lighter Than Some, who can literally just look at something and go... All right, cool. It's fixed. Like, yeah, I fully learned how to do it while just looking at it. Yeah, and so this this kind of upsets the Yanmei. We learn that you know clearly they're they're taken off of yeah the the drones are kind of thrown off because now they're they're scheduled. You know, they're creatures of habits. Yeah. So when you break that habit of theirs, they're kind of like unsure what to do. So they're kind of upset about this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then Maccabeus calls up to Dab to the bridge, and so, so something that Dab's been really worried about is that. He thinks that the brutes kind of know that he was initially, you know, quote unquote, conspiring with that ship mistress to like steal some stuff. So he's paranoid the whole entire time he's on here. Like every time, like a, a, a brute commander talks to him, he's like, "I'm, I'm, I'm dead." Yeah, like every time. So he calls him up there, and they actually receive a message from these aliens, and it's actually a peace offering because it's a a picture sketched on the side of this ship. Because it shows the initial battle between Johnson, Byrne, and the Kigyar, but then it shows them giving them more fruit. They're like, you invaded our fruit ship. Sorry, we kind of screwed that up. 
you can have more fruit. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know, because because at the time they're like, okay, let's if if that's what they wanted, let's give them fruit. Yeah. So then, yeah, they they do. They they see that, and also they have this something we haven't really talked about. Is they have a luminary, which is kind of this machine that detects forerunner artifacts. And so Dadab says, "Yo, this luminary says that there's an oracle on the planet." And so instantly they're all like, "Fuck yeah, let's go down there." Yeah, because it's already picking up relics that it thinks is there, but it's like, but also an oracle. So like, yeah. to get a luminary relics and an oracle all like in the same place, like that's nuts. And we'll we'll talk about what that luminary actually is later on. But then you know now the narrative shifts and we see humanity kind of preparing for this and. They kind of like we see that all the militia are like now learning like we're going up against aliens mm-hmm. like and it's it's not like that tone is completely different from how I just said it because they're all they're like scared shitless yeah I forget who it is that asked but they're like it might have been Jenkins I think was it Jenkins that said that can I tell my family and he's like no and like, they're, they're only like, people here can know yeah they're like but but my family needs to know it's like listen whether your family knows this or not does not matter at this point what matters is that we either let these talks go well. Mm-hmm. Or you fight. Yeah, because humanity for years has had a contingency on, you know, a first contact to make it peaceful. Mm-hmm. Initially it wasn't, but this is like the official first contact, so let's make it peaceful. So two spirits dropships come down, mm-hmm. and one of them drops off a few brutes, one of them being Maccabeus. Mm-hmm. And we kind of learn that he is in a war chieftain's armor, like the yellow one from Halo 3. That's how Maccabeus looks. But he has that fist of rucked with him. Because like we were talking about this earlier. They're like, what, what does this alien have? And they're like, what do the aliens have? He's like, Johnson's like some pistols and a hammer. Like, say again? Like, yeah, it's a, a giant hammer. I don't know. I, I'd like to think that when that guy heard that, he thought it was like a giant Mario style hammer that you can just put, <laughs> put in your hand, in, in like your pocket, and just fucking hit people on the head with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, you know, that one spirit comes down, but they notice the second spirit's just kind of coasting around, coasting kind of around. Patrolling. Yeah. And so Thune meets this alien. Like they, they all, they're in this green, this, uh, it's like green a green, room? It's, it's a greenhouse. So greenhouse, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like a Victorian style greenhouse that's got like the lattice and, you know, like the glass blocks in it and all the other stuff so make it look pretty and all the the fruit that they want because they, they're still kind of under that impression yeah they, they thought that they wanted fruit and then i think i think it's either johnson i think it's johnson who makes the remark like hey we need to change up that menu uh we got some big boys coming in yeah because they, they they had they had vegan food prepped for them and he saw their teeth and was like nope these are meat eaters yep yep and they're just like doesn't matter like they'll they'll eat whatever yeah and so Thune meets them and they try to do these introductions, but they can't really tell because Maccabeus is just making noises and doing nothing with his hands. So they're like, okay, we're just going to move on. And they show them this kind of presentation of Harvest, like similar, on this tablet. Similar to what Johnson had gotten when he first landed. Uh, yeah. And so then they realize, like, they, they give. They give them like a melon and they're like, we don't want this. And they try giving it back. They're like, no, keep it. And then they realize, I, I forget who says it, but they're like, uh. Is Al Signey. Is Al Signey's like, um, they want the planet. Like, they, they don't want fruit. They want this whole fucking planet. Yeah. And, th- and this is Peterson who's like, no, no, no. You can have that cantaloupe. I got plenty of them. It's like, no, I want the thing that the cantaloupes grow out of. It's the fucking ground beneath your feet. Yeah. And, and so as this is going on, we then hear a rifle start to fire. And this is when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And instantly, you got to realize we've, we, we see this eight foot gorilla with also a headdress that adds it to make it probably pushing 10, 10 foot. And this thing's also oh, well over a ton. 
we're already all scared shitless in this room, mm-hmm. and now we hear gunshots, and then that's when the shit goes down within that kind of that that greenhouse. And at one point, Maccabeus takes his hammer and swings for Thune, but Ponder takes like tackles him and takes the hit, and instantly he's down. So then Lysinus is shot, and so then Maccabeus has to you know take him out of there. And within this whole firefight, Tartarus is also on the ground, and he says, you know, Tartarus, did we find any of these relics? He's like, we were close, but the grunts kind of, you know, they kind of started this whole firefight. So as of right now, no, but we're close. Yeah, so so in this fight as a total, so we lost, unfortunately lost Osmo. Mm-hmm, yeah, because they discover, because they discover Osmo's dead, but they're like, okay, he died and saved lives because said if he hadn't fired his gun, we wouldn't have known about this this kind of sneak attack that was about to happen. Yeah, like he he went down swinging basically because he's like rifle mm-hmm. in hand, you know, still there. And then we also lost, uh, and we lose Peterson because uh, he was the one kind of you know you need this, you know you need this melon. So for but, future reference, don't don't fucking push the melon. Yeah. So so because when the firefight broke out, he took a spike straight to the chest. Yeah, that's actually my new phrase now. Don't push the melon. Don't push the melon. <laughs> so yeah, and then they 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 send a message to the ministers back in high charity, like, hey, uh, we got some stuff going on. We have some relics going on, like. BRB, we'll yeah, be here. Yeah, we'll be here just so you guys know. So now speaking of everything going on in High Charity, we move back to the to High Charity itself, which I think learning more about the Covenant lore and backstory is some of my favorite parts of this book. It's oh, really... I, I'm glad someone likes it. Oh, you don't like it? I don't. Oh, I love it, man. So yeah, so the Minister of Fortitude is at a party with the Minister, the Vice Minister of Tranquility. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, the vice minister of tranquility, we find out, is forced to be a father by these illegitimate children who the real father is the prophet of restraint. Kind of learned that irony in their names. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so long story short, the vice minister of tranquility, his his mate mated with the prophet of restraint. And so now he has kids and we kind of learn about how only certain strands from families can breed within the Seng Shayum. Yeah, it's it's just a really weird reproduction cycle, which we it's, learned Staten really enjoys talking about reproduction. Uh, Yeah, mating, sex, reproduction. <laughs> it gets brought up so much. It's a lot. Yeah, because I said, we saw at one point the ship mistress, way before she got killed, she was eyeing this dude. She's like, I can't wait to mate with this fucking dude. All right. And they go in this weird detail about how when they mate, the dudes peck at the back of their necks. And some, I don't know, man. And the same thing with the ungoy and other stuff. Anyway, yeah. we get back to this, <laughs> and it, it gets to the point where we're talking with the Minister of Fortitude and the Vice Minister of Tranquility are saying, so yeah, they're, they're going to try and, and usurp and become the High Prophets themselves. Yeah, because it, it's always like three at a time. There can never be one or two or three. And so they're going to try to wipe... They're trying. They're kind of debating about like, should we keep one or two? And if so, like, who's the one that we try to get the rest of them to clear out? Yeah, because they're saying, okay, we can blackmail restraint and try and figure this out, you know. Or with the VM of tranquility getting a hothead, brings a plasma pistol. And he's like, let's just take him out. Yeah, he's, and he's like, like whoa, 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 whoa. Well, something that's interesting is that he's also like drunk. Yeah, and to, and finally, you re- you learn that they can take like a pill that sobers them up. So he's going crazy. He's he's wanting to kill him, and then he sobers up, and he's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm good. Yeah, and so at that point, they're you know they're like, okay, like there's three prophets, and they realize prophet of restraint is for sure. We're gonna blackmail him. We're gonna take him out. 
And, you know, we are going to be the new prophets, but we need one more. Like, we can't have just one person. They were considering it, like, or one person stay behind. They're like, hard reset. Yeah. So they eventually go and they make their way to to the Forerunner Dreadnought because you learn that they need this this Oracle's blessing for them to become kind of the quote-unquote new prophets. Mm-hmm. And within that process, they meet the philologist there who was in who at one point was a politician but now he's just old and jaded he's like a hermit they kind of yeah he he went there to just fuck off he's like i'm i'm just gonna chill here i'm done with politics this all sucks spoiler he gets sucked back into it but whatever well the big thing with him too is he was it seems like one of the first to really experiment with the let golo Mm -hmm. and kind of see what their abilities were yeah and that's as that happens, we learn about the backstory of them is that, you know, they went to their home world and they saw that they were eating Forerunner artifacts. Mm-hmm. And so eventually they tamed them, got them to join the Covenant, and then learned that nothing on that planet was actually useful. So, well, And it goes back to with this, it, the Sanghealy seemed like the one who's holding the Covenant together mm-hmm. because with the Grunts, the prophets are like, fuck off. And the Sanghealy like, no, they're good. Same thing with like Golo. Like, Golo, they're like, just burn them all. Glass them. And then there was an Arbiter at the time. And again, I I don't remember off the top of my head if this is specifically established in this book or something different. But I know that an Arbiter was like, no, I think we can actually tame them. Because we actually learn that there are other species within the Covenant that aren't necessarily in the Covenant. And there's other species they've just wiped out Mm because they're like, whatever. But yeah, so it's like kind of like, no, we can use these guys. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so they they go to this oracle and they input the data that they got from Harvest, and the oracle, who we kind of learn and assume is meant to get biased because he refers to his quote unquote bias, wakes up and is pissed. Who who has never activated for any of these people or mm-hmm. activated like in eons? They basically say yeah, and so he wakes up and is like, "Holy shit! I've been listening to you guys for so long, and you guys are dead wrong about." most of this he's like Mm -hmm. you guys keep hearing reclamation you know i'm saying reclaimer yeah and i'm talking about these humans like these guys are the rightful heirs and so instantly this whole crazy thing is going on the philologist is like screaming at it it's screaming back all these like golo are falling from the walls dying like yeah because it's starting to like it's basically starting up the dreadnought yeah it's like okay guess what i'm going home i'm going to the humans they're the real reclaimers they earn my work mm-hmm. so like i'm going so eventually they 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 stop that from happening and again they kind of learn like oh uh, the covenant has been misinterpreting all this stuff for a long time mm-hmm. like we now know something we probably should know, but they kind of know, like, we can't tell anyone either. No, not until we know how to use it properly, mm-hmm. or not at all, considering we're technically not the rightful heirs to any of this stuff. Yeah, so they're kind of at that point, they're just like, eh, we'll figure this out. So then the narrative after this whole, and I want to put in there, very again, cinematic kind of moment where I saw all of it going on within my head. I was mm-hmm. like, this is awesome. So we go back to to Loki, and he is, you know, being confronted by Sif and basically learns, like, hey, you can't really be compromised, so I'm going to kill you off for the most part. Yeah, because I believe Sif came by to kind of talk to Mac, and then, like, he's talking, and she's looking at these, like, one-word responses, like, stop communicating, mm-hmm. stop this open communication. So she, like, goes back into his data center is like, what the fuck, dude? 
Yeah. And like, what's going on? And she realizes that it's Loki. Yeah, it's Loki, and long story short, he's like, you're done. He saves a fragment of her, but he, like, kills her, and it's, like, this dramatic thing. She, like, falls in his arms, like... And he's like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell him that you said bye. Yeah, kind of like she, you know, she's wanting to see Mac. So we're we're seeing that she's not so much, like, annoyed with Mac anymore. She's actually wanting, like... It's like that weird thing that she's playing hard to get until he stops, and then she's like, whoa, why, why are you not talking to me? Why are you sending yeah. me one word text? Okay, I'm going to go in there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, you're not you anymore. And mm-hmm. then she gets zapped and killed for the most part. As I said, they save like a-, a It's a cluster. It's like yeah. it's like one little fragment of mm-hmm. her. Yeah. So on to chapter 17, section three. We haven't really been going chapter by chapter, but just an FYI, we're on chapter 17. We're on chapter 17. So those who are following when we're on chapter like eight before, we're not 17. <laughs> but it's kind of broken up into three sections, which section one is kind of the finding of what's going on. Section two is the conflict. Section three is re- resolution of what we're going towards. Yeah. And so we start off this chapter back onto Harvest, which is trying to begin that resistance against the assault of the Brutes. Well, they said it was like a week now since yeah, that first contact. So yes, like, it's been a week. So there's, they've been kind of like, what do we do? But So they've been just hiding out. Hiding out, but Loki and Alcigny have kind of devised this plan that they really haven't told many people, mm-hmm. but they started evacuating the major yeah. cities. And, and Loki isn't Loki to the public eye. He is still under the guise of Mac. Yeah, he's still that 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 farm boy loving cool guy. Yeah, so he's keeping the crowd at bay, but you notice that like as his hologram is talking to people, like I think at one point Johnson and Byrne are talking and one of them asks a question I can't remember, but it's a it's a question that needs a number. And they look over and Mac or Loki holds up four fingers so like he's listening or five yeah he holds up five fingers and so he's listening the he's, whole time he's basically how many ships do we got for this yeah and, and then he holds up his hand he says five, you know so it's like he's still listening and he's still loki on the inside and he's just playing mac to keep everyone at bay because his job is to keep everyone safe and happy so yeah so, so they're, they're getting everybody to this this town hall center i guess kind of the, mm-hmm. the parade grounds of it and starting to bring these people together from Utgard, which is Harvest Capital. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing them all there. And we kind of learn the plan that they're going to take the survivors, put them into the makeshift cargo pods, because mm-hmm. we'll learn later that they take a bunch of seats from different sedans and cars and other stuff and just drill them down and up the strands to the kind of elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they go and they, they're looking for survivors. Johnson and Byrne... They take they, a warthog. They take a warthog and they're like, okay, we're going to go look for survivors. Uh, and then they fucking run into Maccabeus. Yeah, because they're running to this town that they're seeing. It's already kind of had some bombardment, trying mm-hmm. to see who's still there. Yeah, and they run into Maccabeus, who has a survivor in his hand. He's like holding him by the neck. Yeah, and so they're like, okay, um, let's ram a warthog into him. Yeah, so, so before that, they Johnson just like, they're like, we need to get his attention. So Johnson just lays on the horn. Johnson pulls the my move in multiplayer and just lays on the <laughs> horn. And Maccabeus like, dro- like throws the guy to the ground, drops it. And that's when Byrne just lays into him. Mm-hmm. And then Johnson, you know, like you said, like he's sitting there, like, like looking at him, and then realizes, like, oh shit, he's going to charge. So he yeah. jumps up and he tries to throw it in reverse, but Maccabeus comes straight down on the front of the warthog, missing the engine block though, mm-hmm. kind of hitting the tow hooks and everything up front. Yeah. And you know, their their back ends up in the air. And so Johnson decides, all right, instead of going back, because like Burns like screaming at him, he's like, I'm gonna charge into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they pin him against a wall, but rams into him and breaks his thigh bone in the process. And you like ca- splinters it out. Like yeah. it's like gore. Yeah, like pops out. And then also in the process, you see this kind of Mexican standoff happen because 
we realize is that there's a ship right above him getting ready to fire. And so they're like, yeah, okay, Johnson can't fire on this guy or they'll fire on them. But if they fire on them, they'll kill his leader. Yeah. So they were kind of in the standoff and then they they have to back out. And as that happens, well, well, first burn goes and grabs a survivor. Oh, yeah. yeah, Johnson kind of made this like you shoot me, he dies type thing. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And so. So, yeah. So he allows burn to get the survivor because it was the only plan. Like they couldn't. Yeah just shoot him there, everybody would die. Yeah, and so then, as they back out, they go to kill him, but with his fucked up leg, he's able to, like, fall under. Yeah, he, fall, and, he falls down, so Burn can't tilt the turret that far down. Uh-huh, and they, you know, they, they make it the hell out of there, because, of course, you run into, at the time, the toughest brute there, or mm-hmm. the toughest Jirohanai there. And so, now we've got Burn, Johnson, and Mr. Survivor Man, in the Warthog, trying to escape. And they're going through, and they have a dropship after them. Same dropship that was over them. Mm-hmm. And it's still firing, and, and Johnson's trying his hardest, and Burns trying to fire. So both, you know, crafts are, are swerving back and forth. Yeah. And as they're trying to make their way back into town, Matt comes on. He's like, hey, we're just waiting on you guys to get out of here. And they're like, all right, we're making our way back. We've got a, you know, dropship on us. He's like, well, I got a different way for you to take. Go to the vineyard. And so as he's going there, they're still dodging it. And then out of nowhere, these two Jotuns come. Oh yeah, and just it, cross path and just destroy the spirit dropship. Yeah, yeah, I for, I forgot about that. That was a fucking badass part. But yeah, so then we move on and we kind of learned that some smaller outer cities and towns have been destroyed. And Jenkins learns that one of the towns is where his family is, mm-hmm. and so he's at a point to where it's like he he he's like, no, I I have to go back. I have to save my family and. You see that he's disobeying orders, and he's kind of pissed. Like, Johnson puts his hand on his shoulder, and he pushes it off, and you can see, like, Burns about to say something, but it's like, we, you know, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Your family's dead. Yeah, and John, yeah, Johnson was just blunt after that. He's, like, trying to be like, son, like, they're, they're gone. He's like, listen, they're dead. All you can do is fight on. Yeah, fight for them at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you will be fine. And so you also learn that one of the spirits' dropships are occupied by Tartarus and Riddle. And it's destroyed. And so Tartarus escapes. So, yeah. And then uh, we move on after this whole Jenkins thing to Dadab. And he's on the tiara mm-hmm. with 60 Ungoy. And, of course, he's trying to talk to them. None of them really seem interested. Yeah, we, he's, he's trying to get them to, like, actually do stuff. It's like, hey, we need to move some things over there. We need to set these little camps. Mm-hmm. No one's really motivated. And then there's also one, Flim, and they talk about He's, like, large for an Ungoy. He's really kind of talking back to Dadab because Dadab's trying to kind of bring everyone together and make conversation about like, oh, you know, like everyone should visit High Charity. And he's trying to learn about some of their ancestry. But, you know, Flim's kind of just being a dick. And he's like, nope, shut it down. Like, I'm the boss here because I am the deacon. Yeah, he's he's like the Tunnel Snakes leader. Yeah. It's <laughs> like if you're starting out in your vault, he's well, the one against you. Well, you also kind of talked about an Easter egg reference. Yeah, so one of the grunts that kind of becomes... Dadab's like go to guy second in command. Kinda, yeah, is Bapop. And Bapop we learn or Bapap, whatever his name his is. Fucking names. Yeah, we we learn that his cousin is Yep Yep. Yep, he he kind of works with some Zanghili forces. Yeah, so it's a little Easter egg in there. They're you know they're trying to figure out. He's like, oh yeah, I do have a, a cousin that lives over there, and he works with the Zanghili. And yeah, so it's like okay, it's it's kind of a funny little call out to uh, to the flood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so Maccabeus is informed from the the ministry that he sent that message about all those those uh, relics. He's like, your luminary is actually kind of broken. He's like, there's nothing there. Destroy the planet. Mm-hmm. And so 
you see like this kind of moral conundrum where he Maccabeus calls up to Dob and he's like, you know, what's a greater heresy? It's like desecration or or what's a greater crime? Like decor, desecration or heresy? Mm-hmm. And so you know he's kind of like. No, there's 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 got to be relics on this planet. Because like, yeah, Dadab even like confirms he's like, no, th- there there is an oracle here. Like I know yeah. it. I've seen it in, you know, the, I've seen it. I've seen that. Yeah. That's what we're gonna get. So he's like, he's like, I I can't destroy this planet. He's like, I know, like disobeying the hierarchs. That's 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 so bad. But he's like, but this is for the religion. He's like, I need to keep pressing on. Mm-hmm. So you know, as this is happening, all of a sudden we see there's this kind of battle ensuing back on the ship. And we see that Tartarus is fighting off a bunch of these Yanme. Like he realizes that they're pissed. And so he calls a Maccabeus. He's like, I'm in trouble here. They're all trying to kill this Horagok. Like get over here. Mm-hmm. So when Maccabeus makes his way there, it's just bodies of Yanme. And we actually see that he's like, holding lighter than some but almost like choking him out trying to protect him yeah it's, it's kind of like if you were ever like you know headlocked like my older brother type thing it's kind of like that type of deal and it's like uh and so Maccabeus is freaking out because one about the anime but also he's like you need to let him go he's like no they're going to kill him like they're both like trying to figure out he's like you have to let him go you're going you are going to kill him yeah and so eventually he does let him go and so they're just like, okay, get Dadab in here. And he was actually waiting outside the door because he's freaking out because that's like his best bud. He's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. So then at that point, we see that Lighter Than Some shows Dadab like what he's been working on. And so you, what? how you kind of said it was like this grand moment. He All the walls come down. He's like, ta-da. And it's a bunch of harvesters. And Dadab's like, fuck. Because earlier, something some we kind of we, we didn't mention is that Lighter than some made a small harvester. Plow. Yeah, a plow. And he was going to, he's like, we should give this to the humans because he feels so guilty that he killed Hank. He's like, so this is a peace offering. And Dadab was like, no, you need to get rid of that. You need to destroy it. And Lighter Sum was like, yeah, you're right. This is this, this wasn't built that well. I'm going to, I'm going to make a better version. And so Dadab's like, oh my God, like they just saw this giant peace offering. I'm so screwed. But then he kind of like bullshits it up and it's like, oh, well. These are vehicles for us. You can put a bunch of weapons on them. Maccabeus is like tight and then just walks away. Yeah, because you realize they they basically made the brute choppers. Yeah. And so instantly Dadab's like just trying to freak out. Like, why do you keep doing this, dude? Like, stop doing this. Like, these need to be destroyed and lighter than some's like, no, like, we need to stop killing. Because he says, like, all these other races have been brought into the covenant. Why not humanity? Mm-hmm. He's like, why are we killing them? Yeah. Like, this makes no sense. And so Dobbs pissed and it's like, you, you need to take care of this. And so what Dadab does is he takes lighter than some back to the tiara because he found before that there was some really cool objects that represented that same exact like dumb AI box they got from the ship. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he can probably do something with this and, and see what's going on. Plus, it'll also protect him from the Yanmei. Yeah, and keep him busy. Yeah, keep him busy. And so he takes him over there and they start messing around with it and uh, discover that, you know, he can, there's some systems broken and he starts to fix them. So now we go back to Harvest where we see that the evacuation begins of all the citizens. And as this is going on, Burn Johnson and Alcigny make their way to Thune's office, and he's got guards at this point, and he makes them remove all their weapons, and so they make their way in, and Alcigny says, listen, you're not in control anymore. Like, we, we need to take over. You're clearly not making the right decisions. You're gone. And so at this point, that's when the, the she pulls a gun on him, 
and the guards come in, and of course Johnson and Byrne just beat them down quick as hell. Yeah, they take him out. And then finally he's like, I'm not going anywhere. So she lays three rounds into him, and instantly Johnson like runs over. It's like, holy shit, you just killed this man, but then you realize it's the paintballs. So she, they, they take him out, and now they're kind of, quote-unquote, in charge of everything that's going on from here on out. And so we go back to the TR, because this is, we're near the end of the book, and we're kind of going mm-hmm. to all these different little subsections of it. We have Dadab is with Lighter Than Some, and they're discovering something. And Lighter Than Some mm-hmm. is, like, you know, jubilant about this. And Dadab's like, okay, we need to make sure no one knows what we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. put those security panels back on, this, this, and that. And so Dadab ends up getting his tunnel snakes come in. <laughs> tunnel snakes are coming in. They start doing some jet stuff and snapping some fingers, going after them. And Dadab convinces them, like, oh, no, we found these really cool things. We need to get more energy coils. Go get some. But they're like, hey, we're, we're on to you. Come you, with you us. You come with, yeah. So then at that point, that's when Lighter Than Some comes into contact with Loki. Yeah, because he, he had discovered, I think they probably discovered it before, mm-hmm. and when they left, he like pulled the panels down, he stuck his tentacles in, Loki pops up. Yeah, and so you kind of realize, they, they start to devise something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before we figure that out, the narrative moves on, and we're at, we're at chapter 20 now, in case anyone's curious. Uh, and so Ponder is mortally wounded. Like, he knows this. He knows that he's he's going to die. He even acknowledges, like, I'm dying. Yeah, because I don't think we touched on it, but when they were in the governor's office... You know, they're like, Healy, get up here for the governor. And they're like, oh, it's just paintball bullets. And then Ponder was like, no, we if we could really have Healy up here, that'd be cool. And he's like bleeding out of his wound he got mm-hmm. from Maccabeus. Yeah, and so he realizes, like, I'm, I'm going to die. So they get in touch with the rapid conversion. And they're like, hey, guess what? We have that oracle you want. Mm-hmm. So he meets up with Tartarus and Varanus to retrieve the oracle. But, you know, he's he gives them... This what like a data pad or something? Uh, it was it was from the governor's office. It was just yeah, it's this fat heavy data pad that they yeah. put a bunch of stuff on. And so basically, you know, he sees he goes to pull out a cigar at that point, and the brute barks at him, or the Jarahani barks at him, and he's like, "No, nope, that's the only one I got." And then lights up his cigar, and then. All of a sudden, yeah, he calls in the ship coordinates. He's like, you know, 600, 600 degrees this way. Just casual as fuck, basically, because he's like, it's like that the thing you get blindfolded and you get your last cigarette. Like that's what he's doing. He's lighting up that last cigar, and he's like, all right, well, you know, so, you know, six hundred degrees, or, or you know, like sixty degrees to the left, or something. Yeah, and, and, then, and then Max like, all right, well, you need to get out of there. He's like, nah, I'm gonna stay for the show. Yep, he he knows, and so mm-hmm. as the the mass driver on Harvest starts hitting the Jirohana, attacks him. So yeah, the mass the mass driver hits the rapid conversion twice. And, yeah, twice. And so then at that point, the brute or the, the Jirohanai attacks Ponder. He gets stabbed with that uh, spike rifle, and it dislo- it like just completely cuts off his spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And so he says that like at that point, he just he closes his eyes to take in like the warm air, and then it says he never opened them again. Mm-hmm. So ba- like again, we see like a lot of these self-sacrifices because within the halo stories we see less of these like quote-unquote badass moments and we see more of these needed sacrifices yeah which is which is really cool it's very tender which i Mm -hmm. really enjoy yeah and so when tartarus you know kills ponder varanus leads several other jirohane to disable the mass driver because obviously that's priority number one at this point Mm -hmm. and at this point too to to give you a little bit update with it this is where we start to see the choppers 
Yeah, so they, they, they come out. They've dropped the choppers off, and they're, like, tearing up asphalt, tearing up grass. Like, your chopper does. Yeah, a pretty badass scene. So, yeah, at that point, then, Johnson is leading a small force up to the space elevator because there's all those ungoy in the tiara. And Byrne is staying behind to defend Harvest reactor complex from Varanus and the other Jerohanai mm-hmm. coming along. So then... Yeah, yeah sorry to backtrack, because they figured out that they're... The goal was that they were going to ac- evacuate everyone up there and then jump to slip space with like one of those big cargo pods they were doing before. Uh-huh. So what they decided to do was send up some decoys first that had a bunch of those claymores springing mm. that same trap we saw earlier. Yep. Lazy. Yeah. Lazy. Come, up, come up with something new. And, you know, we'll, we'll come to see that any of the grunts who unfortunately tried to open those pods to kill the humans inside got just faces full of uh, metal balls. Yeah. And so through, throughout all of this... We see that Tartarus makes his way back to the control center mm-hmm. to confront his uncle. Because I, throughout the, all of this happening, you see that Maccabeus is like using his hammer as kind of like a crutch. You see, like he'll walk and then instantly stop and lean on it. So eventually, Tartarus confronts his uncle. He's like, "You need to glass this fucking planet. Like our men are dying." Yeah, because he's he's. He blames him for the death of Ratul, who was the pilot of that spirit drop ship. Yeah, he he tried to save him, and he just burned to death. Yeah, he just burned to death and washed him. And he blames him, and he said, this wouldn't have happened if we had glassed the planet in the first place. Yeah, and Maccabeus is like, no, like, you need to stand down. And Tartarus is like, I'm not going to. Which instantly we see that a fight is about to ensue is because he is now challenging Maccabeus to be the new chieftain of the brute. And we learn that Maccabeus is like, okay, let's do this then, because Maccabeus challenged his father mm-hmm. for the, the the title of chieftain of the brutes and slit his father's throat. And he said that his father was like more than ready to like for this to happen. And yeah, he's, he's, like, he's he like proud. Yeah, he's like, he's proud. He's an old Johanny. He's like, I'm not that old. He's like, I'm not old. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh-uh, fuck this. Yeah. So basically... Tartarus says, listen, you can keep your your hammer and your ammo. I'm going to keep the spiker, but I'm going to take the ammo out. He's like, because you're injured, so let's make this fair. Mm -hmm. Even though that, you know, Maccabeus had that ammo and his hammer, his injury just, just, he never got anything with Tartarus. And he brought up, too, he's like, you know, I I see you've learned honor, but you haven't learned faith. Yeah, and so he basically said something like, you know, just following orders isn't faith. Mm-hmm. And so of it, this really descriptive battle ensues where he just takes that spiker and the blades on and slices the hell out of Maccabeus the whole time. And he does eventually get the hammer from him and crush his head in. Yeah, because he's hanging on the elevator. Mm-hmm. That, that, like there's fire spooling up from it from all his explosions below uh-huh. with the Yanmae like going crazy all over. Mm-hmm. And it was really scene, really crazy scene because at this point, too, his helmet had already fallen off, crushes him with the hammer, takes the helmet and then does one of those oh no oh no oh no moments and is like oh i just let him die down this hallway yeah. this elevator shaft into the fire but i need that armor yeah <laughs> so he's like it's like oh go give me that armor go give me that armor yeah. fuck 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 i need that armor so yeah then at that point tartarus takes over and it's like all right guys we're going to glass this planet we're we're not looking for anything everyone here dies and and so something to throw in is that we we learn that loki and lighter than some had actually gotten when they had gotten in contact with each other it was lighter than some who had told him, like, this is the fake symbol for an oracle. And that's how Tartarus and Maccabeus had learned that there was a quote-unquote traitor in their mix. So mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out, and I think they kind of nabbed it down to Dadab or lighter than some. Cause, yeah, because they Tartus, narrowed it down. Tartarus brought up, he's like, I know one of you is the traitor. Mm-hmm. And so then he's like, oh, I don't know about that. And so Dadab leaves. And then with all this craziness ensuing, makes it back to the tiara uh-huh. and then makes it back to his buddy 
only to realize that you had some buggers come in and just rip him to shreds. Yeah, he walks in, he said it's nothing but shreds. And so, which is sad as fuck because you see this relationship between these two, these things that these two have done for each other. And he finds his best friend dead. Mm-hmm. And so he picks up a plasma pistol. But yeah, so there's three there and he kills them all. And instantly he notices, he's like, I have enough for one more shot in this pistol. So he just, it's just like this this snap that goes on his head. He turns around and he's just on a mission at that point. And even as this is all going down, we see that now Tartarus has made his way on and he's fighting off the militia that's mm-hmm. on the tiara like this this giant battle ensues and basically at one point johnson and tartarus meet and so as they're fighting johnson looks over he's on the ground he's getting ready to he, he's about dead but he looks over and he sees this grunt walking towards him and he goes uh-oh he's like i'm gonna die by this grunt and mm-hmm. not this brute but he notices the grunt is just like walking right looks he's, through him he's looking and just through him and just walks right past him and he notices, like, right as he's by him, he holds up his pistol, charges it, and fires. And so Johnson kind of clenches for it, and then he realizes Tartarus was hit with that. Like, yeah. he hit Tartarus. He's instantly like, why did this just happen? It doesn't matter. I'm out of here. And so Tartarus, you know, which is already, you got to think that, you know, he got hit. He is the highest-ranked brute, and such a low-life grunt hit him with this. So he takes one, you know, he swings a hammer. And kills Dadab. And just crushes him down. And so he says he makes him basically he gets crushed under the hammer. Like you don't see anything. Yeah. And and so after this, Tartarus turns back to Johnson and is gonna deal with him, but up comes our hero Jenkins. Uh-huh. And Jenkins just starts unloading yeah, into the chieftain. Because Jenkins as well now, he's still pissed off about what happened to his family. Because earlier he's he he looked at Johnson and says, I'm gonna kill them all. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. He's he's also seeing red. Dob was seeing red. Now Jenkins is still seeing red. Like we, I want every one of them dead. So we get back to the tiara and realize that uh, Lighter Than Some had fixed up Sif mm-hmm. and, and repaired some of those clusters. And she was talking to Loki and you know was asking him, "Can I can I please speak with him?" Yeah, with with Mac. Yeah, with with Mac. And and he's like, "No, I just I can't." She's like, "Well, you know, before you go, like, there's one thing. You know, I just want you to." Tell him, and so Sif quotes Shakespeare again, you know, and says, "Look it up." Yeah, tell, t- him, to, tell, tell him, to, him to look it up. Yeah, tell him to look it up. And at this point, you know, this is where he's like, "Okay, well, I I have to kill you now because they're going to fire Mac round in mm-hmm. Tiara, you know, eliminating any of the other borders." Because by this point, all the humans had made it off and are entering slip space through one yeah. of those like tugboat things. Yeah, you know, as as she's dying, this is like where now her emotional kind of cortex takes in well she's she's we realize she's rampant at this point yeah yeah so so she's rampant like she's already and also like being rebuilt again has mm-hmm. kind of destroyed all that so she she goes through emotions of like she's like maybe i'll feel you know sad about this but she's like that's boring and then she's like i'll feel angry but all i did was laugh yeah and then at, the, at the end she's like i just felt content and it was you know it was it was great well what we realize here is that she wanted to tell mac that she loved mac Mm-hmm. Because like she did love him, and so she said, "I really hope that Loki gives him my message verbatim." Yeah, because but, then he'll realize it too. Yeah, because she she never says that she loves him, but she gives him those things. Because you realize, like now the whole the whole book, she's been kind of suppressing her emotional emotional cortex, mm-hmm. and it's been having her logic take over. Like you can't say that. Like you can't get miffed about this. You have to do your yeah. job. So this is now that she's able to unlock that. She's like, you know, I do love him. This is what I wanted. And so that culminates our last chapter and brings us to the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so 
we see that everyone's escaping and and Jenkins at this point is just like I I have no one because as this all happens Forsol he he gets hit in the jugular he was he was fighting off a grunt and it mm-hmm. bit his jugular so so that had happened earlier and you know Johnson assures him like we're all going to make this out and he's like he's the only guy I have left and that's when Johnson says no the Marine Corps owes me a favor, and if you want, all of you will be Marines, and you and we're going to take back Harvest. He says that's the first thing we're going to do. It's like we're taking back Harvest, and if you want to be a part of it, by all means, let's do it. So you know, as you know, Burns is also kind of basically knocked out. He got really roughed up within that battle, escaping. But yeah, so Johnson's going and looking for some blankets, and he sees Al Signy. Now, we're going to go into a very quick recap. Long story short, Al Signy is really, really sad about everything that's going on. We learned that not everyone survived Harvest. And then within this mix of emotions, we see a relationship blossom from kind of her sadness and Johnson like reassuring her. Hey, we're going to win the war. It's going to be fine. She, yeah. also, she also says she likes his mustache. But so then after this, we now see the Sing Shayum are now high, you know, they are now on the high council. They're the mm-hmm. three prophets. And so they are the 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 prof- the hierarchs. And so we learn that they become the prophets of truth, regret, and mercy. So the minister of fortitude becomes truth. The vice minister of tranquility becomes regret. And the philologist becomes the prophet of mercy. Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of see that they, you know, everyone, it's it's a big old celebration. Everyone's excited. And they now know that they have this secret. So, you know, like, listen, it's going to be a great age. Yeah, because now it's, it's the age of reclamation, which mm-hmm. is exactly what the Oracle was saying it's not. Yeah. You know, you're talking about reclaimers, not reclamation. Well, what we learn is that they're not, they're like, okay, the covenant or the humanity is the true heir to the forerunners. Mm-hmm. So we have to kill them all. Because if the the covenant knew about this, it would be disbanded. Yeah. And we just got into power, kind of a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Also, it doesn't show forerunner artifacts. It just shows where humans are. So it's like, now we know where humanity is. Like, easy money. So it's like... They're not going to, you know, they're not coming into the Covenant. We know now where to hunt them, and we're going to take them all out quickly. So that kind of, that's one of the last thing that happens. But then we see it's it's implied that it's Dr. Catherine Halsey. And yes, she, from um, Charlie Hotel, which is her initials accessing uh, these data archives from the Jotuns. Mm-hmm. And it's it's Mac kind of sending, you know, almost like a, a self-monologue to Sif. About, yeah, about the dying planet. Yeah, because he's, one, going through rampancy, but two, mm-hmm. also the planet's being glass, so he's losing all these kind of different machines that he put himself into. Mm-hmm. And it's even, he's describing, like, I'm seeing snow for the first time, but it's really, like, the ash from the mm-hmm. planet, and it's it's a really sad moment, because it's, like, the last thing he wants to do is just talk to her, yeah. and then he just dies. And it's a super interesting way to do it because they do it through an archive. So you're seeing like mm-hmm. all of this different jargon from, you know, ai.mac.this and like like mm-hmm. trying to see like these different things. And it's pretty cool too because you see him transfer between all the different Jotuns and which mm-hmm. one he's in, whether he's in a model 2, a model 5. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and so that that ends contact harvest. So now let's move on to, you know, we, we went through the walkthrough of the book. Mm-hmm. So let's walk through now or let's talk about what this does for the lore. Yeah, and and as we are with our hashtag detail walkers of many things, we're going to give kind of, you know, our interpretation with it and what we've seen thus far. So we're not talking 
any further media. It's just what we've covered up to this point. So when you said the prophets, we said, you know, fortitude is truth. Tranquility is regret. And the philologist is mercy, how they came to power, which is, mm-hmm. which is pretty big because we see them throughout the games. Yeah. We also see our best buddies, Tartarus, and our best buddies, Johnson, kind of their backstory mm-hmm. and how, one, they've already met. And two, just kind of like the intro to who Tartarus became, why he has the Fist of Rock, and who he is. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, I mean, first contact. Yeah. I mean, it's contact harvest. So we, we really see how it wasn't just like a uh, – when we learned in the fall of Reach, like, hey, we lost Harvest. It wasn't just like this initial attack. Like this yeah. was – I think they said this was a month-long campaign mm-hmm. by the end of it. This wasn't like one kind of firefight or just this straight up like, who are these guys? We're going to kill them. Like it was a long ordeal. We also – you know we know now why humanity wasn't invited into the Covenant because we've always wondered like, well, they invite all these other species – why just attack us? Yeah, or or if you do attack us, why is there no parlay to be like, okay, we've defeated X amount of you, join the covenant? Like, there's no, there's never been any lore to kind of push that. Mm-hmm. And we do learn extended lore for a lot of covenant species, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really cool. These do kind of get touched up again in the Halo 2 anniversary terminals. Yeah, yeah so, so they get kind of touched up again, and I think that's really, really cool. Uh, we actually see visual representations of all these things. So if you're wondering where they ever got those from, it was from Contact Harvest. So now let's move on to the reception of the book. And so upon its release, Contact Harvest would rank number three in the New York Times bestsellers, along with appearing on USA Today's and Publisher Weekly's bestselling list as well. The book was so successful that a 10-CD audiobook was released after the book's paperback release. So if you... uh. If you guys don't trust or want to do some Audible and you want to listen to all 10 CDs, go for it. Yeah, you go for it. I think you can actually – I was, like, really curious. I think you can find this, like, 30 bucks on Amazon or something. I was like, I kind of just want this for the studio to have Oh, this, yeah, it's pretty cool. To have this brick in here because it does take me back to seeing, like, I know people who would have this giant book of cassettes for one mm-hmm. book. Like, it's like this book is 12 hours on cassette, so they have like seven or eight of them. You're like, holy (laughs) shit, man. So some of our younger listeners may not remember that era, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You you guys, you you know, you guys have Audible now. We didn't have Audible back in the day. Just an FYI. We didn't have it. So now let's let's end this episode with what did we think of it? Mm -hmm. I guess I'll, I'll go first. I, from all the books that I've read, this is my favorite, I think. For sure, it's, I mean, it's written really well. Joe definitely really knows how to tug at your heartstrings. Dadab and Lighter Than Some are two of my favorite characters, as well as we learn about another one of my favorite characters, Tartarus, coming to power. I think it's awesome to see all that, see how he was, he almost was kind of a more sympathetic brute at first. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just this hard-headed dick. Like, he he, like, we see, like, his one of his really good friends dies in that spirit, and he's really hurt by that. We see that he's like kind of understanding towards Dadab and lighter than some. He's kind of nicer to them in mm-hmm. the beginning. So we see like a lot of more emotion come from him than yeah, just we, being we, this big dumb brute. Yeah. So he has like before he's all jaded as you know a chieftain dealing with all of this for years. He's still kind of that you know starry eyed. I'm gonna do awesome stuff as a brute. Uh huh. Yeah. So what did you think of this overall? I thought it was good. Uh, like you said, I think character development for me was the best thus far. I mean, you, you know, you have several different relationships that have flourished, like with Johnson and Al Signe at the end where they're just kind of like 
really confiding in each other. It's almost like one of those, like, we can breathe now. Mm-hmm. Like, like we have a moment to just breathe and be with each other, which is really cool. Like you said, Dadab and Lighter Than Sam is like one of the saddest ends to relationship thus mm-hmm. far in the series. And just what else you got going through? And the introduction of characters like Jenkins and, mm-hmm. you know, what, how he got yeah. to be with Johnson. Well, you even see that, like, he was almost kind of a coward in Combat Evolved, but it's like, no, he really kind of took the reins in this book. And, like, he has this kind of disdain and hatred for the Covenant. I mean, he has one of the coolest story arcs ever, where, like, mm-hmm. he starts out as this, like, badass farmer, moves on to be a Marine, gets infected, but then is like, well, can't take this infection with me. Boop. Blows yep. the ship up. Like, it's a really interesting story arc for a character that... I don't want to say it was a throwaway character, but like kind of was. He was just a character that they just decided to give a name in Combat Evolved, but he did a lot more in the extended lore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the characters like that is awesome. I think it's really cool to understand how First Contact happened. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, like, like I said, it's up there in one of my favorite books. Like mm-hmm. that and First Strike are kind of really where I'm loving it. Like you, you, you can't beat Fall of Reach's intro onto kind of how the kids became Spartans. Yeah. Like, that's just a staple story that everyone should kind of know. But outside of that, like, a book as a whole, it's definitely up there. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. So, overall, we recommend this one. I know, as of right now, we are getting a lot of good books. Not every book is perfect. Mm-hmm. I know where eventually there's a few books I've read that I was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. So, I know it kind of seems like we're just really playing it up. But, I mean, as of right now, this is when Bungie made every piece of media and lore they put out matter. So this definitely shows as well. Joe will come back and write another novel for us later down the the line. I am really excited to cover that. But yeah, that was Contact Harvest. Please let us know what you thought about the book. I saw a few people commenting on our post today about it that said they didn't know the story, so they were really curious about it. I think this is starts to branch outside of the realm of what people initially go to when they read the books. Yeah, and once again, thank you for listening, which mm-hmm. we appreciate. Um, as we said before, you know, your support matters. So that's why we put together a Patreon, which we mm-hmm. announced in the last one. So if you guys want to check that out, that's awesome. And that's where I want to thank our awesome Patreons thus far. Yep. So we've got Charles Zitter, Baby Z, Mike, and Skyjack. Thank you guys so much for the support. Yep. Thank you for helping us retell these awesome stories. And yeah, so tune in in two weeks because this will be a first for us. We're going to cover... going to be interesting. We're going to cover the interactive strategy game. There's no lore that comes from this, but we want to cover all pieces of media that have come from Halo. So we thought, let's pick up this board game and let's go with it. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. So I have something really fun for you guys with that, which I'm pretty excited about. So check back in in two weeks uh, when Jesse and I play some games. Yeah. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo. It's finished. No, I think we're just getting started.